Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. In telling the podcast of my father's life, it's impossible to separate fact from fiction, the man from the myth. The best I can do is to tell it the way he told me. It doesn't always make sense, and most of it never happened. But that's what kind of podcast this is. God. Give me that back. Come on. Give me that back. You're not already getting one over? Crudup is not winning me over in this movie. He's he's the one who's not winning me over. I'll say, like... Right off the bat, hot takes. Because mm. our guest has been complaining that we've been saying a lot of that good stuff. That we're spitting our hot takes off Am my... Am I allowed to speak? Yeah, you can yeah speak. of course. Of course. Yeah. You've, we've been here for roughly 25 minutes, sure. and we've discussed so many things about this film. Right. Uh-huh. The last time I was on, we didn't even get to the film. We, we were barely talked about as good as it gets. It's true. You're right. So you and know, now we've spent 25 minutes giving hot takes amongst each other that weren't recorded. Sure. No, no, you're you're very right. So you We're, know what? Need, Let's get focused. Let's get straight down to business. Well, I actually had Chris, a question. What do you think of Solo as Star Wars? Story? I thought Solo was solid, and I think that it took a lot of. I think <laughs> unfairly it, maligned. You unfairly think? maligned in the sense of look, if we want this universe to keep expanding, some of these stories aren't going to relate directly to like galactic stakes. Sure. If every single installment in the Star Wars world the actual galaxy is on the line, it's not It's not sustainable. It will lose any sense of effect. So I think it's really smart for them to go, let's take a character you love, do a smaller story that has stakes internal to that character's life outside of the Empire and the Rebellion and all that. I think people were complaining about, oh, the story felt like small. And it's like, well, they, they're going to have to. See, I have no complaints on that front. Right. My complaint with the movie is I think the movie would work better, even more divorced. I think That's that story works too. better not as a Han Solo story. And you go, here's just a Star Wars story. It's small scale. It's about street rats. Right. These are kids in the yeah, slums the who are Solo trying to make a better life The Solo is what's hurting it. Where they're like, but let's explain the Millennium Falcon. I'm like, don't need you to. Well, don't do it. I was thinking about this on the way here. Star Wars, it's funny. I feel like one of the points Big Fish makes is that and I have so many opinions on this movie because of my background, which I'm sure we'll get into. One of the major things that Big Fish, I think, makes is like, hey, life can be more fun sometimes if you just choose to ask less questions. Yeah. Sure, right, Star right. Wars is maybe the ultimate franchise that I was thinking about this year. Because especially the end of Big Fish, when you start to see the reality versions of everything, mm-hmm. I think that's so beautiful. But Star Wars is maybe the ultimate franchise that Anytime they've actually tried to double down and explain a character more like than that. you already heard about Not it, important. Yeah. ruins it. Boba Fett really was our favorite. They tried to, they tried, yeah. kids, I, I would, I feel like they probably sell 80% less Boba Fett merchandise right. than they did before the prequels because yeah. he was just that guy with the cool mask. Right. Even when they gave him a name, they managed to give him a good name, mm-hmm. Boba Fett, but first in Empire, he's just the bounty he's hunter. He's just bounty yeah. hunter. Then I was thinking about it too. One of the main Achilles heels, I think, of the original trilogy who is the emperor? Who is that? Right. In the original trilogy, you know, there's a guy even worse than Darth Vader and yeah. they never say a word about I think about it's him. a little unspoken or a little weird like that, like Star Wars has the best villain of all time, has Darth Vader. He's yeah. so scary. Yeah. And then the Empire Strikes Back, they're like, this guy's got a boss. And I'm like, mm, no. I don't care. <laughs> and even Darth Vader. I don't want him to have a boss. Yeah. Even Darth Vader in the original trilogy, they give him a, an iconic piece of backstory but they give him sure. one piece of backstory very simple uh-huh. I am your father mm-hmm. 
That's all the backstory they give that yes. character. And that's at the end of a second entire movie. Right. Yeah. It takes them two movies to reveal anything about that guy we already love and think is cool. It would be like trying to explain every gang in the Warriors, you know? Actually right. explain right. them. It would yeah. be and like if yes. you made a series. And it's like, and that's another thing. In the I'm, Warriors, it's like the, the baseball gang. I get it. They, they got baseball bats. I get it. That's all yeah. I needed to know. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Right. The roller skate gang. I don't need yeah. to know why right. they chose to make their, <laughs> their headquarters yeah. a subway station bathroom. Perhaps the least desirable place to hang out in all of New York City, a subway station bathroom, most of which are now just locked permanently. Actually, forever. side yeah. question that I have. Have either of you ever used a subway station bathroom? Because I, I never I have. have. And I life. was I born have. in this city. Yeah. yeah, I've never done it. I have. There's in Woodside. Forget when that's I lived crazy, in Woodside, there is one there at the 61st Street That's station. like tolerable? I, I used it only for pee in an absolute emergency. Right. That is kind of crazy, David, because like me, you were born in New York City and then lived here for the entire duration of your life. Well, there's this 13-year stretch where I lived in England. Just put that out there. You guys been to the Penn Station bathroom? (sighs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that thing is. Yes. Giuliani, you forgot. (laughs) Giuliani forgot. One... One thirty square like, foot. He no, was like, Port we can't. We can. Port Authority's even worse. He just basically said Penn Station and Port Authority are like the New Jersey embassies, right? Exactly. Here, right. and I'm just gonna leave them up. Port Authority is. It it bonkers. literally feels Port Authority's like insane. like the snowplow machine he used to clean up Times Square. He then led directly into Port Authority. Oh well, Port Authority also feels like say you're the mayor and you sit down with I don't know, what's like a chic like pan quotidien, and you're like. Whatever you want to have a restaurant in Port Authority, and they're just like, no, yeah. absolutely not. Like, Tax free, rent free. You can yeah. have. And it's like, no, we won't right. do it. We won't go in there. Right? It'll curse us somehow. Port Authority <laughs> that is place like, is haunted. Only franchises that you're pretty certain went out of business twelve years. Yeah. Like Port Authority has like a Circuit City <laughs> and a bowling alley that they remodel every few years yes. to make cool. Mm-hmm. Right. I had my birthday at that mo- at that bowling alley when I was like seven okay. years old. Okay. And, Only uh, one? Because that's weird because you would have spent the rest of your childhood in New York and you never went back. I already said that I grew up in England, you twerp. Chris kind of breezed <laughs> over it. So I want to. We used to sneak into this, as Jersey kids do, you used to take the bus into Port Authority, sure. mm-hmm. not tell your parents. And my friend, Mike D., older friend of mine, great, great guy, he was a little bit of a bad kid. So he would sneak in all the time. And he one time was waiting for the last bus back mm-hmm. to Jersey, yeah. which if you miss it, you're dead. Like, you're a high school kid. You can't. How are yeah, you getting back to New Jersey? What would you do? Would you, like, sleep in the part authority know, or something? And, like, yeah. your parents are going to think you're dead. You know? <laughs> so he's in there. And this is, like, a pre-cell phone era, too, oh, right? Oh, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. Just this like, is the yeah. mid-90s. And he was in there, and he had to take a shit. And he started doing the math, and he's like, I can't leave Port Authority and right. make it back. Right. Like I have, I'm going to have to do that. Right. I, I'm going to. I have to shit. I'm not making it back to Jersey. Right. So he goes into the Port Authority bathroom. This is the last bus. It's probably, like, 2 in the morning. Mid nineties too, you know. This is like you still saw some streetwalker. Yeah, the Jonah Hill era. Like you still saw, (laughs) and uh, he goes into the Port Authority bathroom. He's the only one there. Oh, that's worse. No, he's like, thank God. Okay, so he goes. He sits down on the stall. He's taking a shit. Yeah. Then he hears the door open. (laughs) This is this is my why it's worse. It's just a giant syringe. (laughs) (laughs) He hears all this screaming. Just one person screaming. (laughs) So he just tells himself, he goes, Mike, whatever is going on out there, you fucking run. Right. You wipe up. You're not washing your hands today. It's pre Purell era, too. Sure. You have fucking fecal hands all that's the way back fine. to Jersey. To me, that's like, yeah, yeah, we look, I'm paying whatever debt I have to pay to get out of here. <laughs> so right. he wipes up, he flushes, and he just takes off running. And he claims that what he passed 
<laughs> was a homeless individual removing his own teeth with a pair of oh, pliers. God. <laughs> with knives? What? Pliers. Pliers. Port authority. Jeez. That's port authority. Jeez. Now, Big Fish is arguably about like the importance of stories in our Storytelling. Yeah. So can and, I ask you guys? Personal legend. I you know? really wanted to ask you guys this. Mm-hmm. And it's been covered on the internet. I looked it up to make sure. It's something that I've never really read up on. It's bothered me since I was a child. Yeah. In A New Hope. Uh-huh. Yeah. If we're talking about storytelling. Yeah, we're getting focused. We're talking about C-3PO Star Wars. so specifically says in A New Hope. Ah, sorry, I'm not good at stories. <laughs> Luke's like, tell me about the rebellion. He's like, and he's like, I wouldn't. Really, I mean, I'm not I'm, programmed for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So explicitly, right? Jedi. He tells the whole story for the Ewoks. The Ewoks the, are sitting there with rapt attention, like right. this motherfucker is Spalding Gray. <laughs> well, not only that, he is kind of like Spalding Gray. Like he's doing he's, sound effects. He's holding it down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he would like win a Lucille Lortel Award if that was off Broadway. Yeah, he would double extension, double extension. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and they'll jack the prices He'd too have a after chance the Times to make review. The jump, Berbiglia style. <laughs> yeah, Berbiglia style, right? Twelve weeks. He's so good at telling stories in Jedi, and no justification. No, no justification except no. I'm trying to think. Like zero. I mean, C3PO isn't really a character who like changes. It's not like he's not you know because like in Star Trek, you've got like the holographic Doctor, and like the point of him is that he sort of like becomes human. Like the longer he's on and interacting with people, C3PO is always basically the same. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's that's why he is I what mean, he is. I think Lucas fell into like I guess we got to do sitcom plots with C three PO. Like he's Mister Bazinga. He's unchanging. The thing that can change are the circumstances around him. Right. So it's like first movie he's uppity. Second movie, what's the plot now? He keeps cock blocking. Yeah, that's it. He's that is. Just a, well, he right, keeps cock blocking, and then halfway through the movie, his head is blown off. <laughs> right. And he is he's strapped to the back of Chewbacca. Right. 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 But then even you look at the prequels, and it's like, what story ideas does he have for C-3PO? C-3PO's head ends up on another robot. Yeah. Like, he doesn't want C-3PO to grow at all. Right. No. C-3PO's not going to do shit. In right. the prequels, when he is, like, to a fault over explaining how different characters used to be, right. C-3PO is exactly the same. Yeah. They're just like, what's a weird C-3PO plans two dinners at the same restaurant <laughs> at the same time? Yeah. Like, it's just, like, hijinks. It feels like Lucas straight up. Because as you get older and you realize that Star Wars, Star Wars is one of the best things in my life and mm-hmm. one of the sure. most informative things in my life. I'm about to have a son. I can't wait. One of my, the, no, I said it to my wife as soon as we got pregnant. I cannot wait to show my child Star Wars. And right. I mean all that. Yeah. It's also bad. Yeah. Right. And it maybe always was. But that's what's great about it. And it was cool when yeah. he was young. Yeah. And then the prequels, he wasn't young enough to be cool anymore. And it just exposed that all of it was bad. It sure. feels like, it feels like the thought on C3PO was he straight up watched Hidden Fortress. Was yeah. like, oh, I want something that looks right. like that right. tall, skinny yeah, guy, big, short, yeah, tall fat guy, guy, short guy. Right, right. And you're and telling that, the story and from low status characters. And, right. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that image was the extent of the thought behind C three PO. It's like, oh, I need a skinny guy in the desert yeah. to look like that. <laughs> and that was the extent. <laughs> I like how George Lucas is now like a sandwich <laughs> guy like from a, the Bronx. Yes, he's a Bronx. <laughs> he's a yes. Hey, give, give me a skinny guy. He's all a right, street cart vendor in the Bronx. You're gonna want to take this this lamb shoulder and put it in the oven 50 minutes. Do you know this whole thing that, like, uh, uh, Anthony Daniels uh, hated uh, Kenny Baker? 
Sure. And he would always talk shit about him. Really? And when people would be like, you and Kenny Baker, you're a team. And he's like, I'm an actor. Kenny Baker is not an actor. Right. Which is kind of fair because he's Kenny a guy Baker operating a robot. is a, more of a technician. He's just a guy who's inside of a robot. But then people would poke Kenny Baker because they were like, oh, is this like a, a Shatner a Takai thing where they'll both have shit right. to say to each other? Yeah. And Kenny Baker's like, I got nothing bad to say about the guy. Because <laughs> well, look, here's what Kenny Baker knows in his heart. It's like, I don't care how much theater you did on the West End. Mm-hmm. Put on your fucking gold helmet, yeah, right, asshole. You right. sold your soul just like all of us. 100% of people yeah. know you as C-3PO. 0% yeah. of people know you as anything else. And, and here's it. the point. Literally, post-1980, uh-huh. Anthony Daniels has not had a single acting role that isn't C-3PO. Right. And it's like, fine, but don't beat up on poor Kenny Baker. Right. Kenny Baker had like a diverse career. Like right. he was in Time Bandits. Like he had other yeah. roles where he, he was, was in like the sort of face visible, Terry saying Gilliam, dialogue. Like ensemble. He worked. Yeah. Like I had range. And he was just like, this is a job I'm doing. I operate R2-D2. And people sure. were like, how nice. You're a comedy team. And Anthony Daniels was like, that guy's a fucking monkey. Right. Also, I was Macbeth. Yeah, right. <laughs> just on a basic level. I don't care how much of an asshole mm. Kenny Baker is. You don't talk shit about a little person. Agreed. Well, that's true. It. And Kenny Baker was, by all accounts, not an asshole. Like, even if he was an asshole, you'd be like, don't do it, bad optics. Yeah. By all yeah. accounts, Kenny Baker, he was just like, I'm not looking to fight with anybody. I don't know what Anthony Daniels' problem with me is. Yeah. And then Anthony Daniels would double down. I would love, I, I just have a vision in my head of him, like, going to the producer, going to fucking Irvin Kirshner or whoever. Yeah. Being like, I can't work with Baker anymore. He's this, that, and then Krishna being like, "Cool, I'll, I'll get that on record anyway. Uh, why don't you go down to wardrobe and get wrapped up in the tuna can, asshole? So I don't have time in the day for this. I got to fix all of George Lucas's plot holes." Can't be worried about you. We're in the tundra. <laughs> yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah. He, he wrote this fucking script. We're in an ice planet. Yeah, Did you know this? Vacuum sealed yeah. asshole. We're in a part of Norway where humans can't sustain life. I got to listen to you do this bullshit. You don't even have to look at Kenny Baker. Yeah. He's fully inside the trash can. He's the like, guy, the lid yeah. is on. The guy who plays Cliff Clavin's already giving me shit. He's got one line. <laughs> I got to put up with shit from you, too. Oh boy! What's the motivation get, in this scene? That's what Cliff Clavins is going. I gotta get people to suspend their disbelief about something called a tauntaun, so Lucas can sell more goddamn toys. <laughs> and especially for that character, you're like, just say Bazinga. The game is clear. Yeah, be prissy. Right. Yeah. Be prissy. Be upset. Kirshner, if you ever listen to his commentary, a friend is amazing because he's just like when there's a visual effects scene, he's just like, yeah, I told him to do all this. And they were like, what do you mean? And I was just, I don't know, just make him fly around. Like, he had no interest in that shit whatsoever. Lucas's thing on that has had, like, literal Smithsonian exhibits about his level of visual. Right. Like, the models and But that's why that movie worked so well. It was like he hired someone to handle, like, the dramatic integrity of the story and the performances and, like, shot composition and shit. Yeah. And then he was like, you figure out the thing where yeah, the thing the meets other the shit. other thing. I don't know. It flies yeah. into an asteroid. Or I don't know what you're talking about, right. but I'm sure you'll figure it out. Yeah. Like we were, I was saying before, the least explained characters are the best Star Wars characters. Yeah. Kit Fisto. <laughs> Listen, I haven't caught up on those cartoons as much as I should. Sure. So I don't know. My, I know they gave some Fisto adventures. I don't adventures. think they, they, it's just adventures though, right? They're it's not, not telling you like what his deal no, is. And He's the smart, just a badass. The smart yeah. thing is, I feel like anytime they answered a question about Fisto, they'd raise five new questions. Good. So you always felt like you knew less 
about him. You than can you. like him more and right. know that. Well, but this, but this, did you, also, you know more? He rarely or less? would speak. Even on the cartoons, right. they'd right. be like keep. He's kind of a silent, silent but grinning. To read. He's, he's often he's smiling. Fun. He's he having likes fun. It. He likes but it. This is why one of my favorite prequel characters is Count Dooku, because he comes in. He's like, uh-huh. "I'm Count Dooku," and you're like, "You're a count." <laughs> Huh? What does that mean? <laughs> Not explained. <laughs> and he's got a curvy lightsaber. Not explained. Right? You know, like he, you know, he he's no he's other character old. is like him. He's <laughs> old as shit. He's right. so old. Yeah. And he talks to Yoda like he knows him, you know, like, oh Yoda, we, we go way back. And never any none of this is ever right. explained. Right. And he's like, Darth I'm Maul. A- Darth Maul is less explained than he that. Is, Darth Maul yeah, is counting totally and he can't even speak. But the problem with Darth Maul is they've tried they keep bringing him back. Yeah. I mean the solo you yeah, know, has the him at the end. Yeah. where they're like oh, more of Darth Maul and I think it's the same answer no no he was cool when he was nothing you yeah. you dropped you dropped the ball he gave you one amazing scene the yeah, reason to rewatch The Phantom cool. Menace right. is that fight scene mm-hmm. let's drop it when yeah, we right. were in the, when we were watching that when we watched it in the theater it was I, I, I don't think it was opening day it might have been opening weekend and when that came up, you just heard all the nerds gasp. You heard people, oh, right, oh shit. Right. And and my, Darth Maul, he's in charge of the gang. And my wife, with a voice that sounded like she had just finished running a marathon, just goes, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right, this is This, this is, is for the problem. 5% of people. This is right. the problem. Right. That being said, oh my God, I can't believe this. Is, I, at... How many days after it opens will you guys be staying in that Star Wars hotel down there? We've talked about it. We a lot. have talked. Have you Even talked about I am intrigued. Yeah, because you yeah. know I'm a big theme park person. Is it in David Orlando or not. California? Keep both. Both. It's in both. Okay, right. The Orlando one's going to be better. The, it I, always yeah. is, right? Because they, they have more space. They, they have can more just space. sort of right. right. Yeah. The city of Orlando's like yeah, pave over that. You know, I, part I think of the it's town. supposed. I don't know. Open in May, maybe. Is that soon? May or June? They're both opening this year. I would like to go not in the summer. I don't yeah, want to go like to Orlando in the summer. And it's supposed to be like a sleep no more thing, right? Where like so you, there are a couple you commit to character when right. you stay in there, that hotel. There are going to be shit, Star really? Wars specific you can be, hotels. I've heard that you, if you stay in those hotels, there's an option where you pay a ton of money. And I don't know if there's a rumor where they'll be like, so do you want to be a Jedi or a smuggler? Do you want right. to be a spy? spy, spy right. sure. And then they'll like call you in the middle of what the What if night. I'm like, I want to be in the trade Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to attack some trade And then they're like, sir, we have told you. That racism is not accepted here in, in, in Disney World. I'm just going by what you're giving me. You show up in green face yeah. and they're like, sir. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and they're like, oh, God. No, no. I did. They are like the, the fucking. I know there's a Watto presence in the parks. Sure. So they're not totally erasing. The Any, weird well, racial look, stereotypes. We all, yeah. If it can sell a toy, it's going to show up. At right, and his name's Toydarian. That's a species name. So, like, there, there's a short walk there. The the thing I've heard is, you know... <laughs> that was... That's true! <laughs> Chris right. is a little flabbergasted. <laughs> that threw me for a loop. <laughs> that he a Toydarian? No, that you're a Toydarian! Your tone of, like, and his name is Toydarian, so it's a <laughs> short <species>. walk. Yeah. <laughs> but are you... I want to go, like... Yeah. I think my son will have been recently born, and I think I want to go and ab- abandon abandon him <laughs> for a day or two to go live in that world. So I have a friend who's a theme park fanatic. Yeah. I went to Disney World with him last October. He keeps on nudging me, being like, when are we going to make Star Wars plans? And I'm like, I don't know if I can go within the first 18 months of the thing opening. Because it's going to be a nightmare. Insane. Like, they're per- they're trying to prepare themselves as much as possible to prevent, like, 
uh, like Black Friday style death by stampede. Right. Like everyone's terrified that there's actually going to be like overpopulation, people people getting trampled to death issues. Right, 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 right. On the other hand, I'm already kind of sniffing around being like, is there some way I can get someone to like get me to cover this? You mean like get like a press Uh, visit or something? Yeah. Like can Uh. we sell someone on like a piece or something? You know? Yeah. Because I'm like, that I, I would see, do. Otherwise, I feel like I have to wait like two years. You know me well enough to know that if there is a stampede. You want to be there. I want to be an eyewitness. Yes. I want to be right. running. I want to be fleeing from my life with yes. genuine fear in my heart. Right. Yeah. As people around me are trampled to death. And it's like, oh, no, I'm holding a fake lightsaber and I just watch someone die. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I want to be the witness to that story. Because the Avatar theme park at opening. Like, I heard it's amazing. It rules. But it was that thing where, like, everyone gets to the gates of Animal Kingdom, the least popular theme park. An hour before it opens. For a franchise that's not 100th as beloved. Right. And the Avatar stuff is all the way in the back of Animal Kingdom. And everyone's waiting outside the gates for an hour so that the second the gates open, they can, like, run to get in line for the Avatar ride. Right. Because very quickly that ride becomes a six-hour wait or something. And, like, the Star Wars thing is going to be that times a billion because everyone loves it. The thing I've heard is that, like, the, the big rides, this Millennium Falcon ride, yeah, but it's like a six-person ride where everyone takes a different position on the Millennium Falcon. Oh, it's like amazing. actually an interactive thing where, that like, where you can cool. be in one of the in the gun chairs. Oh, the gunners, you're not in one of like, the gun chairs. How you fucked how up? How pissed are you if you're Chewbacca? <laughs> so if you're the co-pilot, <laughs> that's their battle is trying to make each seat cool have its own advantages. Good luck. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, you're the one who gets to sit there and play hollow chess, asshole. <laughs> But then here's the thing that's going to blow your guys' mind, okay? So the ride's actually interactive. You're actually affecting the outcome, right? You're making decisions. Ben, fix these fucking lights. They're driving me crazy. (laughs) Sorry, keep going. It's not just like a Bandersnatch thing where you activate like one of ten possible options. Like anything can happen, I think, right? Right. Literally anything can happen. But then you go on Just for the listener, Ben, quote, fix the lights by just (laughs) turning turning them them off. Yeah. Just one third darker. Ben took out a hammer and started smashing the light bulbs. Right. And now they're fixed. Um, the thing I've heard is that, like, you go on the Millennium Falcon ride, you do well, or this or that. And then they'll, like, through some weird, like, Big Brother, Amazon Echo communication system, relay to cast members in the park who are playing, like, walk around Star Wars atmosphere characters. So that if you're at, like, the cantina after that, some like scumbum will come to me like, oh, it's you, the guy who took the left. They'll know what you did on the ride. It's like, not that thrilling that I took a left. I hope they got something better. No, right. no I but they, have a good they might come I, out I to you and go like, hey, I heard it was your first time behind a gun and you took out three TIE fighters. Sure, right. They'll know cool. the exact oh. details of what you did. Fucking walk around the park with a boner for the rest of my <laughs> Right, like you have stay. a reputation at the park. Oh, if you amazing. stay at the hotel, that's right. double. And is right. it because true? apparently have your you heard... wake up is someone coming in and being like, quick, take this. But have you heard rumors that y- you can go into the park in the middle of the night for missions and stuff like that? <sighs> I don't know. That would be I know the hotel is like a, an all night kind of thing. I tell you what, I, I, cool. I was just, my parents spend a big chunk of the year in Florida now because they're snowbirds. Snowbirds, mm-hmm. classic snowbirds. And we went to... Uh, not one of the parks. It's like Disney Spring. It's like their outdoor yes, shopping yes, mall type thing. Yes. And they have some attractions, and they had a Star Wars virtual reality oh, thing. Oh, have you done that thing? I just did it. It is Did you do it? Yes, I did. Dude, David, do you know about this? I mean, you're walking at one point. 
you have a virtual reality helmet on. And it's clearly, it must be like a 10-foot square area with right. these hallways that they just have you keep walking around in loops, but you don't feel that. It's like a black box theater that they're like moving around. Sure. Moving There's walls one point around where you, you yeah. feel like you're walking on like an open air bridge over lava where heat is blasting you from all sides. Shit. And then people are shooting at you and you feel their shots hitting the bridge and shaking it. And it's, it's got like cool. a laser tag Incredible. thing where you're wearing the vest and if someone shoots it you, vibrates. it vibrates yeah. the right amount where right. you're like, I feel the threat of where you're being like, hit without it being painful. Your sure. instinct isn't like, oh, this game is cool. Your instinct is like, oh, shit, I better focus up. There was right. a part that blew my mind where like... Uh, Which is how it should be. Like yeah. the yes. VR ones that are just like, isn't this amazing that this exists? Like, okay. No, this was the first time I was like, I see this as a as sustainable like a art form like that I would play. with validity. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, it's the void. Any, any right. city that has the void, that's what this Star Wars thing is made for. Right. But that's right. the whole notion of the props are real. If you touch anything, it's actually tactile set up in the right way. But there was a moment where like K2SO is like your NPC like mission giver. Sure. And it's just like, okay, so there's like a CGI rendering of a robot there and you're just listening to him give you the instructions before the gates open and then you walk out. And you're ready for the mind blow of like the doors open and oh my God, there's a door opening right there. But as I was walking out, I like my hand brushed across and I was like, wait a second. And I went back and there was a fucking full-scale K2SO there. Oh, like a real, right. I think you were telling me about that. There was like That's a 10-foot cool. statue, and I was like feeling it, and I was like, this isn't just they put a mannequin in here. Like, this yeah. is clearly this K2SO, is like robot. but it has the right dimensions yeah, no, of no, everything. No, I you, hey, I Ben, can I get a time check on how long we've been talking about Star Wars on the Big Fish episode? <laughs> yeah, I'd say about 25 minutes. 20, 20, so this is a podcast minutes. called Blank Check. It's about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in now, their can, careers. Can I ask you guys one last question? Anything. Yeah. If if we're playing by the rule of the less you know about a Star Wars character, the cooler the character is. Right, uh -huh. the Kit Fisto rule, let's call it. The yeah, Kit yeah, Fisto rule. But you guys uh, know more about the cartoons, formula. and I don't know as much. We don't know much. Neither of us are super hard right. into them, but yeah. we and know And the more. comic books yeah. I've dabbled with, and they're actually yeah. incredibly good. The new Marvel well ones. Done. Are but I don't know yeah. what else has been explained there. Mm -hmm. um, by the Kit Fisto rule, mm -hmm. do I know more or less about Kit Fisto or Plo Koon? <sighs> Right? I, I don't got think that name right. Any Plo Kloon content. Is it Kloon or Kloon? Yeah. Oh, no, I think you know corrected. I think it's Kloon or Kloon. It must be Kloon. No, it's Plo Kloon, right? I think we got corrected. Oh, no, no. it's Plo Kloon. Plo yeah. Kloon. That's what There's, I said initially. Right. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Yeah. Never doubt George Lucas's ability to walk right up to the line that's, of something that feels like As we tape. debated it, I said to myself, it better be Kloon, actually. <laughs> yeah. I hope I was the one who was right. Yeah, are nope. they going to be playing Jizz uh, at yeah. the cantina? Most definitely. Jizz, America's right. favorite yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. music genre? Of course. Um, I, they are. There will be a cantina with a cantina band that uh, you can like ooh, go hang that, out I mean, that Max has Rebo? To be. Does I don't know. Max? I've read about the know. Cantina Band. I haven't read about Max Rebo. Yeah. I heard Sai Snoodles won't sign the contract. <laughs> Snoodles is holding out. It's kind of like a Fleetwood Mac thing. <laughs> they yeah. all dated. Yeah, and it's the Lindsay fucking fucked up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's real fucked up. I, I was desperately like, I can think of a third name. But I forgot the Max other Rebo, names. Max Rebo, Sai Soodles. Uh, uh, Something cool guy. Droopy McCool. Droopy McCool. Droopy McCool. What we once is. joked, Ben would name his son. Yeah. And Droopy McCool. Droopy McCool, who you always think is the elephant, but that's Max Rebo. Right. Droopy yeah. McCool just looks like an upside down pig. Right. It's, right. <laughs> it's more of an old. Max Rebo is the band leader in the right. old like swing band. Right. Yeah, right. He's right, like a right. Tito Puente. Yeah, right. exactly. Sai Soodles is the front woman. 
And then Droopy McCool is just a pile of laundry. Drew McCool keys, looks like right? a, an upside down pick. Yeah. An upside down pick. Is yeah. How I would oh, no, it's not it. the keys. He, right. He's yeah. Yeah, playing yeah, yeah. the. Max Rebo yeah. plays the keys. Yeah. Max Rebo's on the keys. Right. Um, who else he got? Um, no, these names. The these are not them, right? names. Oh, no. They expanded it in the re releases because originally it was just the they three added, of them. They in the re releases, they made size noodles like a CGI. Before she was just a puppet who just sort of did this. Right. Just so jerky. Um, my favorite song. Um, <laughs> oh no! Wait, no. There's the guy who's like, ah, 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 like he's like a little oh, that furry guy. They guy. Added. Right. Yeah, they just added him. Who I don't looks know. Looks like he is. the annoying frog or something. So is the answer right. Plo Koon? The yeah. answer. Well, here's what <laughs> yeah. I would say. You know less about Plo Koon, but it feels like you know less about Kit Fisto because there's so much more to know. But it's and we see. Here's the difference. Kit Fisto fights. Right, see right. he's got to say There is yeah. a larger amount of information we know about Kit Fisto, right. but it, there is a smaller percentage that we know about Kit Fisto in terms of his entire life right, story. Right, he's right. an Edward Bloom type figure. He has enough of a presence that we should know more. Right, Whereas right. Lo like, Koon, they nailed it. He's a simple guy. He's a company man. Yeah. And yeah. Kiati Mundi, I think, has been very thoroughly explained in the comic books. Oh, and perhaps he, he has like dialogue. Yeah. You know, he like speaks in yeah. the prequels. He speaks his mind. He speaks yeah. his mind. Uh, ben, quick time check. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're doing. Now we're we're hitting about thirty. Now minutes. we're thirty. Is cool. everyone mad or are they amused at the callback? Thrill. I think, I, I think people would be upset if we didn't do this. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for episode nine. People keep saying a title's coming, but we know nothing about it. Really, when is that out? May or December? Christmas. 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 Yeah. What if it turns out the movie is called Star Wars Episode Nine: Colon A Title Is Coming, and we've we've had oh, the title. What if it's just called Fisto? Oh my god! Well, what are the other standalones they got coming up? They canceled. It's it's, it's kind of in all flux. Of yeah. yeah, they've sort of they're taken like, their foot off the gas. Yeah, because of Solo. Yeah, yeah, where they're like, let's release episode nine. We have this TV show in the works called The Mandalorian, which is like going to be probably more what you're talking about, like a, you know. Scum, scumbum, scumbum, Western right. starring with like a little less to do with the main. Is, is it going to be for a network or for their new for the new Disney? It's going to be one of the things. Nick they get Nolte's it. on it Ooh. as a regular cast member. That's right. Ooh, Werner Herzog is on it as a regular. Wait, cast as a member. cast member? Yes, that huh. is true. Oh, how did I not know <laughs> that? That's true. Oh, I'm that so happy. True. Well, they're going to start working. Oh, so it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Nolte and Herzog together at last. John Favreau is the showrunner. 2019 era Nick Nolte. Yes. Right. In a show that co-stars Werner Herzog. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine how much time Werner Herzog is going to send studying Nick Nolte as if he were like an environmental like a, right. phenomenon? He's going to make a documentary yeah. being like- a creature like, in a zoo. With like <laughs> creep shots of Nick Nolte being like, nature has ravaged this man. Like that. Yeah. Like- here, you like it. <laughs> right. Once he caused damage with his fist, now time causes damage to his face. Um, do they, and then they have the Ryan Johnson trilogy that is sort of not being talked about anymore. Right. And then the Game of Thrones guys trilogy that's sort of no, not that's, being talked about anymore. That's dead. You think that's dead? Yeah. I don't know if that's dead. I, don't, I, I wonder. Alive. I think that's a lot. If they really backed out of all that to reassess the strategy, I respect that. Because it lets me know they're trying to say, how do we keep this thing alive two or three decades from now? I think right. that's I think the thought. Someone let's intervened and was like, out. we don't need a Star Wars every year. Like, right. They were like, let's make the movies feel like events. People and are going to get sick of it. Do right. comics, right. do streaming shows, do all the other stuff in between. And Solo showed that. 
for right. sure. Make movies feel really If special. Solo had hit, we would be, Ewan McGregor, star of Big Fish, would be filming his Obi-Wan spinoff. Like, oh, that was right a rumor, now. right? Yeah. That wasn't just a rumor. That was like pretty much, pretty much to ready to that go. That one's a shame. Yeah. I agree, because that's what I want. Yeah. I want that. Yes. There is a part of me that feels like. Ben's laughing at me. There's a part of me that feels 40 like. 40 minutes now? Well, I feel I, I will just say there's a part of me that feels like there's certain salvageable salvageable pieces of the prequels. One of them being that we all did go, that's Ewan McGregor's that's pretty cool. Good he's kind of nailing it as yeah. young Obi Wan. And yeah. also, I just like the Why idea not he's get aged those up. Back. Yeah, he's he's aged yeah. right. That he's spent time with this character. Yeah, and now he's it's 15 years later or whatever. Yeah. He's ready to do middle aged Obi Wan. Right. Don't cast another guy as Harrison Ford. Like you know, that's much more. Well, that's and, a harder yes. needle to thread. And he's been off the grid in general a little bit. Like we'd all be happy to just see you and McGregor. He's again. starting to hit hard again now because it's like he's back. Chris or Robin. He's doing the sequel to the Shining. Then he's the Dr. villain Sleep. in the Dr. Harley Sleep. Quinn movie. Like now he's like a big studio guy yeah. again. You know what I was thinking about if we're talking about prequel stuff? Mm. I was thinking about this on the way here. It is wild that George Lucas made a character, and it's it's everybody made fun of it, so who cares? Ahmed Best has gone on record publicly saying he considered yeah, he was suicidal. killing him. He was very close to suicide. Right. Yeah. Right. That's that's the damage that George Lucas caused. Has, yeah, any, has any has any other actor right. played a role like, so incredible that they publicly said many times, you yeah. know, I contemplated murdering myself right. based on how people reacted to it. And him. your your wife had like worked with him and said he's like the sweetest, lovely hardest working guy in the right. world. I know. Right. And I have a, a little regret. Man. And our fans bring it up sometimes where we they were, were too like, hard they were really him hard on him. We and were too like, hard on him back in the day. You know, yeah. he it's not his fault as much as it is, you know writer and director of this character. Yeah, it, was, know, his, it was his big lake. Laid out the it was, his big lake. it was his big lake. It was his big lake. If I can bring that up again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think one of my talk first about acting big roles. Oh, of course. It, I remember. Big Lake also my big lake. <laughs> big Lake's your big lake? <laughs> big Lake was my big lake. You went into Big Lake thinking like <laughs> is it this possible is be recurring. It possible right, recurring. Right. You're one of uh, Parnell's students. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Big Lake was my Big Lake. Of course, there's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have early success. Now, I did bring up Big Lake. Yes. Not necessarily. Big, big lake. What, what fits in a Big Lake? I was just going to say, it's a, it is a segue towards Big Fish if you guys want to take it. I, we're taking it. Okay. Because sometimes directors have massive success early on in their career. And given a series yeah. of blank checks, make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Yeah. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce baby. Sure. And this is a miniseries on the films, of course, of Tim Burton. The only thing we've been talking about this episode, right? It's called Podward Scissor Cast, mm-hmm. and Big Fish is, I think, a big fulcrum point in his career. Yeah, and it's about the midway point of his career. Yes, movie wise, yeah. It's the midway point, and for me, it creates a lot of interesting sliding doors questions. Um. Okay. You mean like you think if this thing had been a huge hit, like maybe Tim Burton's the latter half of his career looks different? I think so. I kind of think so. I don't know exactly what it would have been. Yeah. But I get the sense in this movie that he's really trying to stretch himself. And mm. then I think the problem is when you have a guy like that who out of the gate makes movies that are so huge, his bar for success is so high that mm. something like this that was kind of received as like a double or a triple and like a well-liked movie that did okay yeah. is just like, fuck, I got to go back and do like a remake of something. Now, can I ask... Because you guys know more than I do. Yeah. I obviously know about 
a lot of Burton's work, but I'm not a completist. Is this his biggest departure from gothic vibe? I I would argue so. I mean, my hot topic. My big take on this movie is that this is the only time he's made a film where like there are scenes that take place entirely within the real world. Right. Because even Ed Wood is such a heightened version of the real world. Like every other movie he has made has fantastical elements. Right. This very is the stylized. only one that's like, like Batman in hospitals right. and homes and like people right. are Those drinking are like totally water. Normal Quiet scenes. human moments. Right. And to yeah. me as like a Burton obsessed kid, I was like, this is really interesting to see Tim Burton try to shoot a normal dialogue scene between actors. Sure. You know? Right. Um, and tr- And try to ground that, which I think works in certain scenes better than others. If you got Billy Crudup in a senior, you've got a problem. It's weird. Opinion. When I was young, when this movie came out, I was all in on Crudup's performance. And watching it now, I find it very difficult. I, I did on a re- I'm going to go on yeah. record and say I unabashedly love this movie. I, you I'm asked pretty to much in the same talk way. with us yeah. about it. You know. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you put yeah. it out there, I did pick it. And to, I loved it to the degree that I was shocked when I started hearing people because I don't know if this is universal, but at least in my circle, I've heard people talk shit right. and say it's like a Hallmark card and say, sure, sure it's a gooey the performances movie. Sure, are bad. Sure. Yeah. And I was shocked because I felt like I had witnessed, I will say well, we it, haven't introduced a them. classic. Oh, Chris Gethard's our guest today. Hey, how you doing, everybody? <laughs> Buy my new book, Lose Well. <laughs> ben just wrote on a piece of paper, introduce Chris. <laughs> Cool. It's Blank Check, Power Scissor Cast, Big Fish, Chris Gathard. We got it all out of the way. Know who, Time you know, check, 45 it's, minutes? Yeah. It's about 40 minutes. Yeah. I loved it. I loved this movie. Yeah. And I thought that, I thought, I, I, I was shocked that people didn't. When did, this movie came out. Did you see it in theaters? You I saw did. It and I have actually, I have, a, I have a story that I don't know if it's amazing to the outside. Mm-hmm. But for me, the circumstances by which I saw this movie, I will never forget. I will never forget. <sighs> I want to hear that. Well, okay, so <laughs> Shit. I, I've always been like a, a very big Jersey guy. If you know my work at all, you've heard me ramble about New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, I lived there for the first 23 years of my life, and it was a place that I really loved. It was a place where I felt very safe, and it was a big piece of my identity. When I started doing comedy in New York, I was 19, and I kind of became known as like, oh, that's that kid who takes the train in from Jersey and – He's so much younger than the other people. And I think people liked watching me figure it out. And then I would get back on the train and go back to Rutgers. And I was this kid from Jersey. When I was 23, I got hired for my first ever job in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Really my first, outside of doing like some spot acting gigs, like, you know, dressing up for some of those Conan bits. Um, Was this for Crossballs? Crossballs. Yeah. So I got this job on a Thursday. And was told that I had to be there on Monday. I'd never set foot in California in my life. I think I'd never been further west than Chicago. And all of a sudden it was like, you have to move out of your house where I still lived with two of my college roommates. You have to quit your job. And you have to go. Right. And the job I was working at the time, I worked at a magazine called Weird New Jersey. Right, I'd worked right. there for three or four years. And if you if you... Most people would not know that magazine, but I, I will tell you, anybody who grew up in New Jersey who's around my age um, or Knows younger will say, right, it's, right. It's, it's an institution. It's an institution. And if you think about sort of the ethos of Weird New Jersey, it is sort of local legends and myth-making 
with a pretty clear policy of who cares if it's true, if it's a fun story. Sure. And a lot of these stories are rooted in some shred of fact and then grow out of control. So I fly out to California. I quit my job there. My boss was like, oh my, he later was like, you, you can always give two weeks. They pressured you into not just give two weeks. They, if they're not going to, if they're not going to give you that, you should be wary of working with. I was like, you're right. You're right. But I didn't know that I was young. It felt like my shot. So I moved out to California. This was before there was a UCB theater there. There wasn't much of a comedy scene. The comedy scene that there was, was well beyond my experience point to participate in right, it. It was like big shots only. Really yeah. Shot. Big, I wasn't going to go up on stage at Largo at the age of 23. When, right. And I was shy. I was scared. I was depressed. I'd been on medication for a year. This was in the early 2000s. I had all these side effects all of a sudden, my mom was terrified that I was going that far away mm. when I was in that state. And I had a friend who I knew, I think, two or three people. I, 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 yeah, I knew three people who lived in California at the time. And one of them told me, why don't you come stay with me at first? And he lived, I believe, if I remember right, it was Huntington Beach. And he told me that was part of L.A. And it is a very, very far. I believe it was about a two-hour drive. But I'm, I would be you where I'd be like, Huntington Beach, sure. That's nearby, I've heard of right? It. Yeah. And I think it was Huntington. I, I, I'm not sure. It, whichever beach it was. It was one of those beaches you know the name. And my buddy shows up, lets me into his house, and he's like, hey, I got to go. And he doesn't even hang out with me. Sure. And I'm terrified and I'm overwhelmed. I walk on the boardwalk. I eat a fish taco for the first time in my life. Well, one of the loneliest and most overwhelming cities to be in, it's especially if you don't know anything about it. Lost. Like, Southern California is an isolating, and you feel it immediately. Incredibly isolating. Yeah. Incred so my, and like the idea of going out for a walk, the city's just kind of like, you can't really do that. Like kind of laughing at oh, you. Oh, yeah. I got but, one, one quick question for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fish taco you ate, what was the size of that thing? It was pretty small. I was shocked that it, oh, it wasn't a big fish taco. They had, no, it was not a big fish taco. It was a small fish taco. Okay. I like that you thought that was the moral. Story where I was going. I didn't think that was the end of the story, but I thought that might be a little <laughs> fun. Like, he, said fish, he said fish. No, but that first night, the first night I spent away from home in like, a, and I mean home in you a mean, big yeah, sense. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, like my Samwise moment of I've never stepped this far away from my home. Like yes. that's a very impactful scene. Your in Mount Doom was a little bit seeing big fish. In Los well, Angeles? I went to a movie theater, sure. bought a ticket for the next movie that was playing. It was Big Fish. And here I am watching a movie that's A, about stories that don't necessarily need to be true. And why don't you just buy in their fun? It was my whole life that I had just walked away from kind of summed up. And then also about this character that's like, no, you got to kind of go out and build your own legend. And you have to go into places that right. don't make sense for you. And you, you have to go into environments that aren't the small place you come from. And that doesn't mean you can't show pride in being from a small place or a beat up place. All these things that the movie wears on its sleeve. I sat there in the theater and I was so scared, but I just cried so hard. And it, it gave me a lot of, um, it felt like a weight had been taken off my shoulder of like, okay, I made the right choice. You got to take some big swings and you got to kind of go on your own hero's journey. And you got to, you got to love stories. So, like, Tim Burton was my guy. I, for the first, like, ten movies was, like, or nine, I was, like, hasn't missed. I'm in the corner. Everything he does, this guy speaks my language. My whole relationship to movies is evolving around my, like, mm -hmm. interest in his movies and, like, understanding that someone makes films right. and all this sort of stuff. 
And then Planet of the Apes is just this, like, the JFK assassination for me, right? It's just like— Oh, was that back-to-back with— Yes. This is two years later, but this is his, you know— But His last project was Planet of the Apes. That was, like, the day the innocence I fell asleep to Planet of the Apes. It's a boring movie. About 11 minutes in, and I slept through the whole thing. I'm not kidding. It's a horrific film. I believe you. It's a horrific film. There's nothing that would rouse you. Like, once you've fallen asleep, the movie's just boring. I didn't realize that historically this was the bounce back from Planet of the Apes. Right. So for me, the stakes of this movie were, like, this felt like Michael Jordan coming out of retirement. Yeah. Like, I was like, (laughs) I want to believe. for you. For me. (laughs) I said the stakes of this movie for me. I know. I just wanted to to triple emphasize. Look, we should all just be happy he made a sports analogy. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Give some credit. Exactly. He came out of retirement. The one thing I know how to reference in sports is right. anything related to the plot of Space Jam. But you know, <laughs> so Planet of the Apes felt like his ba- baseball career, and I was like, I want to believe that was. Oh, like I see. A so weird... you're saying it's him coming out of retirement the first time? Where right, where he comes out and he's just I'm back. Right, two word statement, and he's great like, again. Planet of the Apes. I was like, is Tim Burton gonna be playing minor league baseball for the rest of his career? Like, is that guy gone? Right. And then Big Fish. From the moment they announced it, I was like, this sounds different. This sounds like an evolution. This was uh, uh, John August. Who you know? You gotta. I, I we do need to mention. You gotta worship at the altar, of John August, a little bit, right? Yeah. Well, well so John August. he reads the manuscript for this movie before it was published. Right. His Options father right had just died, and he was like, "I need this." He had. You, written, you mean the the book? He he reads the manuscript of the book. Yes. Right. 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 He had. And written, it was unpublished. It was unpublished. It was. It was to be published. Right. 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 But it had not hit the market yet. He read it. His father had died, and he was like, "I get this so fucking hard." He had written Go, which was like his big, hot, calling right. card spec script at Columbia, went to Columbia and was like, please fucking buy this. Worked so hard to try to adapt it. The book is far more unstructured and just sort of episodic. There's not as much of a spine, I think, around it. Sure. And um, he was trying to make it with Steven Spielberg and Jack Nicholson. Right. That was the plan. It was like, this was going to be like a list of A-list was This is one of those Spielbergs that came close, like where Spielberg came was going to really do close. it and then he decided to make Catch Me If You Can. Was, I think. Right. This yeah. was going to be never thing right that. after yeah. Minority Report. It makes so much sense because this the yeah. who's better at... Right. Spielberg seems un- almost ludicrously like Perfect. a match for this. Right. right, like an unapologetic nostalgia feel right. about hold, dads hold and distance cool with yeah. your dad right. and, you know, and the magic of oh, storytelling. So right. It is. Right. It's a Spielberg movie. It it's is. not a Tim Burton no. movie. I agree. So Outside th- of a character, very important character that I just want to say we have to talk about at one point. Dane DeVito uh-huh. the werewolf? No, better. Better. Although so close. Yeah. Interesting. Mr. Soggy Bottom is okay. the kid <laughs> of this movie. I'm obsessed with Mr. Soggy Bottom. I mean, Bottom. if you wanted to sum up Tim Burton in one image, it's Mr. Soggy Bottom, Crying, a single tear running know, down his cheek, with having the, opened up his chest yes. to reveal a silver gun. It, that is incredible. It's my yeah. favorite part of the movie. We, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Deep Roy's a legend. This is the first Deep Roy uh, appearance. In no, a, no, no. He's in something else. I, I right, forgot that he was it uncredited. Up. Yeah. I think he's under up. makeup so you don't realize it's him or something. Deep Roy, who was... Uh, the Yoda stand-in. Yeah. Is that true? Oh, yeah. No. Mr. Soggy Bottom stand-in for Yoda. The he was Droopy McCool. He no, was, in the original. In the original? When you see like... That was Mr. Soggy Bottom! <laughs> he was the stand-in. The stand-in. Yeah, I know I he mean, wasn't... it's a puppet. You know, yeah, right, right. I know he wasn't the real Droopy McCool. That, oh, that's no. Droopy McCool, he operated. He did. He was a puppeteer. Yeah. He was Droopy he McCool. He was Droopy. I had no idea we were going to come that full circle. He was an Ewok. He was an Ewok. It's on... Yeah, it's on. His IMDb is basically like... As as is true for a lot of little people, like 
any fantasy movie you've heard right, of, basically. Right, right. You know what I mean? Where Willow it's like, and, and he's just he was like a background guy, yeah, and, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, let me see. He had some the, real marquee characters. Though. He's in Planet of the Apes. Thank you. Okay, he's, he's uh, one of the ape kids. He's a gorilla kid. He's yes. the one that I think a uh, fucking Helen Bonham also, Carter chastises. Just in case we lose our train of thought with him, I have to point out his scenes in Eastbound and Down are so funny. Yes. Oh yeah. That's oh, him. Oh my right? god. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah of course. Yeah, that, um, dude, Aaron. Yeah. I'm Yoda, yeah. bitch. And then rips off the fake mustache and says, "I always carry two. Yeah, the, that scene I rewound it about ten times in a row. The first time I saw it, and I cried laughing. He's and that's a, rare. A for really me. good actor. We're gonna get to Mr. Charlie Sandoval. and the Chocolate Factory, which is like his masterpiece, where yeah. he you know played every yeah. Olympa. But I love that guy. That shit bugged me out though. And where Tim Burton demanded that they pay Deep Roy a million dollars, which I love. really. Yeah. Yeah, Deep Roy pocketed awesome. a cool mill. Like he was just like, this guy's been a fucking journey, man. We're gonna have him play right. 80 Oompa Loompas. Pony up and give him one million dollars. Mm-hmm. He played how many? 165. Yeah, give him a he fucking. He played 165 mill. characters in one movie? Yeah, where it like and they God had to like photograph him bottom. doing yeah. every move. <laughs> like soggy bottom. You know, bringing the bottom. heat. Fucking soggy bottom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this Planet of the Apes felt like fuck, have we lost Timber? Right. right. It's sort of one of those things yeah. where he was on such a run that him getting off the run, you're like, oh, is that, is he just, that's it. He's Maybe, sidetracked right, forever. Right. right. And then the Spielberg thing, the analogy was kind of interesting because Spielberg was a guy where for so long they were like, oh, he's so kinetic. He's so much style. He's so caught up in his childhood. When's he going to grow up and make a real movie? Right. Which the critics of Tim Burton in the 80s and 90s would always say that. Like, we get it. You can create things. But when are you going to sit down and tell a real story? Which I always found kind of reductive. Yeah. I think now in retrospect, people are like, oh, we should have given that guy more credit when he was doing this wacko shit. Because right. no one does wacko shit as well as before him. before it, we're talking Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Was Nightmare Before Christmas before it? Doesn't direct that, but that's his story. Right. Right. Still from his world. Yes, right. His run in order is Pee-wee, Beetlejuice, right. Batman, Edward Scissorhands, right. Batman, Batman Returns, returns Ed Wood, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, Planet of the Apes. Damn. So now, you, not everyone likes Mars Attacks and Sleepy Hollow. So I'm for some sure. people, maybe Burton, the roses, wilting. Right, but and I Sleepy think, Hollow did well. Mars Attacks didn't. But for me, it was like... But Mars Attacks, I think, has aged well. I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. yeah, Mars Attacks has aged very nice. Ed Wood, was Ed Wood a more... Would you say that was closer to like a yeah. less That's a mature fantasy? film yes. and it okay. makes no right. money. And I think it's his best movie. He flirted, with, he'd flirted he with it. But it's still, that movie's very much like a weird comedy. It's playing right. a weird tonal game. I think that's his best film. I think the film's incredible. Right. But you go like, well, there's like a clear lateral move of like Tim Burton making a highly stylized film about people who make highly stylized right. films. Right, right, right. Um, and then this felt like, is this Tim Burton trying to do the Spielberg evolution yeah. of just like, I'm going to sort of make the movies about reckoning with my sort of uh, permanent state of adolescence. Yeah. My obsession with fantasy worlds, you know? Yeah. Now at the time I remember feeling like bullet dodge. We don't want Spielberg making this. This is so in his wheelhouse that he's going to go so sappy with it. But this is weirdly the period as we've covered on this podcast this where Spielberg starts getting really Spielberg. dark. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that he makes catch me if you can instead, which is the other my weird relationship with my father, you yes. can't go home again movie. Yes, right. But it's a movie that is like so sad. For and, and then he starts making some of like really grim dystopian yes. sci-fi. Right. Minority reports the year same the, the same, same year. year. Right. So you could argue that Tim Burton and Steven Spielberg kind of switched sort of tried to flop cultural roles for right. one year. Right. Well, he becomes right. a really tortured sort of dystopian filmmaker. 
Right. And then Tim Burton is now maybe seeing like, can I move into the Spielberg stage? The other big thing here is uh, in between Planet of the Apes in this movie, he ends his relationship with Lisa Marie, which lasted for the better part of a decade, shacks up with Helen Bonham Carter. She gets pregnant. He's about to have his first child. <laughs> And both of his parents die. <laughs> you know, so I know all of this. He, knows everything he does proceed, I will say, a bold move to, I believe, gives his wife three roles. Three roles? Yeah, you could argue film? three separate roles. Yes. Right? The witch, yeah. the yeah. young girl, and then... Uh, well, she plays... She's really two roles, I yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah. It's the which, witch and then the real person. But plays the real person at two different ages. Correct. Yeah, that's right. true. Yeah, that's true. Does, plays right. her as a, she yeah, plays yeah. the sort of vaguely fantasy version of adult Jenny and then plays the right because those are also two very different tones of performance when she has to work against well initially when she's the witch McGregor. you're like oh he gave his girlfriend a cameo in the movie right. and then when That's she comes back you're like role. oh she's right. like the dramatic spine of the in, movie right in right. the most Tim Burton-y part of the movie mm-hmm. is right. the witch yes yes mm-hmm. for sure yeah but so this to me felt like is he gonna like get it back is he gonna go right back in the pocket but also grow also evolve does this become a turning point where like Planet of the Apes is the movie that makes him take a long, hard look in the mirror and go like, who does Tim Burton want to be for the next 10 years? Who's Tim Burton in the 2000s? And I saw this movie and was like, unqualified triumph. I don't think I've told you this. I walked out of this theater and said, this is my number one favorite movie of all time. Wow. (laughs) Didn't you also see it 10 times or something? I saw it, I think, I was trying to do the math on it, at least eight in theaters. Because I don't cry at movies. I saw I this. Movies all the time. It destroyed me so hard that I was like, I need to go back. I need another hit of that thing. I like I cry in movies. You know, constantly. I'm a very cry, emotional I'm person. I'm an easy crier. This movie ruins me. And I always know it's going to. Like, you I'm do. like. But now, see, I feel like the sense I've gotten from our pre conversations. David's a little more reserved. Is that you're, you are a little bit more in the camp of. Well, can I talk about my experience with Big Fish? Yeah, because I just want to put one more. Chris had his incredibly profound, like, you know, sort of life changes. Growing up is, you know, complicated, but ultimately necessary story. You gave us a biographer's (laughs) level of detail about where Tim Burton's life was at at the time. Right. And my level of investment, my Uh mental sanity Uh being reliant on whether or not. How old are you in this? This is 2003? 14? This is my freshman year of high school. I'm 23. Right. I'm 23. I'm, I'm 17. I just want to, before you get to your relationship, state yeah. the big Jesus. elephant in the room. My, elf, my relationship's not going to be that big, by the way. But yes. No, but there's the, the big elephant, elephant the we room? have to acknowledge, which is we're recording this four days after Albert Finney yeah. dies. That's Albert true. Albert Finney, who's maybe your favorite leading man in the history love, of cinema. I love Albert Finney so much. Is an actor so you're like much. very emotionally attached to. Very. He's he's my dad. Right. I, mean, like, right. He I is, didn't want to like, say that before you. but like, like I mean, he's the working class English guy who kind of like, you know. Jumped with the ranks. And I mean, as, a, as an English actor who's very crucial as a star when he's young, right? As like, uh, oh, this is a more working class guy. This is like a salt of the earth guy. Which and in the father, '60s in Britain is right. My father was a working class guy. But when but I like, went to see Su- uh, Saturday Night Sunday Mornings, you were like, "You should know that's my dad's movie." Right, right. Like that is my. That's dad's the movie, movie that my father sure. sat me down and was like, "This is the movie about me." Right, right. So like, right. David wow. was introduced to young Albert Finney as his Finney. father, saying, oh, "This my is God. my analog in the." But Finney story. rules, man. Finney's always good. like. I love every yeah. phase of Finney. I love this phase, you yeah. know, where he's, you know. He's an old guy and Should've he's a bit of a ham. He's terrific in the film. Was he nominated? Nope. He was not even nominated and Tim Robbins wins for Mystic River, which is not Ooh. a good performance. Ooh. And you could also say, because we have all sort of, we've been talking very manic fashion about Crudup's weird in this. <sighs> Finney good. saves, Finney might save this movie. Finney, he certainly saves any scene he's in with Crudup. Like Crudup is like, like walking around the set smashing it and yeah. Finney's like, nah, come on, don't do that. You know, yeah, like, right. sorry, carry on, carry on. No, no, no. I think it's, I, 
I, I need to hear the dissenting opinion. Oh, okay. Well, all right. All right. Look. So for me, I'm an Oscar watcher. Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm a big Oscars fan, especially when I'm younger. Yeah. And this movie, when it was coming out, everyone was like, this is it. Burton's making the leap. Like, he's going to get Oscar nominations. This movie's going to be huge. This is going to be like when Spielberg sort of finally got anointed. Like, it'll be the big moment where, like, Hollywood is like, Burton... You've made a grown-up movie. Exactly. You've been a weirdo, and right. you've made your money. This is a and Tony, we, glossy, now emotional, we recognize you. grown-up movie, yeah. And so then when I saw this movie, I had the reaction that I feel like a lot of people had, which was like, that thing is a fucking slog. You know, it's long. It, like, the hype was so deafening, and like, you know, it's okay, but like, it wasn't like, I think I was expecting, like, to be like, Spielberg, I guess, like to be blown away with wonder, Which you know, like I all thought. these like yeah. color, these sets and this like, you know, right. All this imagination sure. on yeah. screen. And I was more like that thing's kind of a slog. The ending is kind of amazing and like a Fellini movie and sort of like just like hits you in the gut and you're sort of like pays out like a slot machine. Though it pays out like a slot machine, which is your pays favorite. out like a slot machine. That we were recording when, when I said, I believe I said earlier it was a three point shot and you actually said, no, that was a four point it's like shot a, it, with the yeah. way that it saves them. In, in the it's big an LJ in the big moment. three basketball uh, league. You can hit a four uh-huh. point shot. If you're uh-huh. standing in a specific circle, on oh, the I thought you meant he got fouled and made the foul <laughs> or, shot. or it's the LJ. Yes. It gets that's also, how close it was to disaster though for you that if the ending not disaster, but it was more like, I was like very mixed on, it, I was sort of like, ah, this is like, is this too syrupy? And like, it's so fucking long. It's not that long, but like, you know, it, it's a solid two hours. And, 215, I think. Right. 210. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just like, eh. and then the ending destroys me. And I'm like, I can't like this movie just because the ending's that good. Right. You know what I mean? And for my whole life, the rest of my life, I have always wrestled with like, do I just like the ending? And is that even, does it even work that way? If I like the ending so much, the movie must work for me in some way where it's like, it's laying the track. So when you I know would, what I mean? Yes. Like, you know, oh, so yes. the ending wouldn't work for me if I didn't like the movie at all. Uh-huh. Like you can't just make a bad movie. And then at the end, it's like, you know, death. And, the, and I'm like, Oh, you know, like it works for me. I, when I was 14, I was all in. I was taking yeah, all yeah. that they got, right? When I watch it now, I've watched it twice in the last two years, right? You, I, you rewatched it not that long ago. Right, yeah. and I was like, oh, this is the first time I've rewatched it in a little while, and I see lumpiness for the first time. I was so madly like, you know, Edward Bloom, time stops popcorn in the air in love with this movie, where I was like, you know, Wreck-It Ralph style, I will brook no criticism. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't say anything bad about this movie. It's magic. It works. You're a cynical <laughs> bastard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And in the last two times I've watched it, I see a ton of problems. I see a lot of things that totally work for me, and I'm watching it, There's and it's lumpy, problems. and I'm going like, fuck, do I, like, overrate this thing in the mind? And then you get to the last 15 minutes, and sure. it's not one of those things where just like, well, this is 15 minutes of good filmmaking, but it's one of those things where that only works if the movie have set up everything right. properly. And it's one of those things where you go, even the things that feel like they kind of don't work in the movie up until that point end up lending power to the ending, bizarrely. That's why I use the slot machine analogy, because it's literally all the quarters you've been dumping in. Let me ask you you guys, too. When we're talking about the ending, there's the river. I'm talking about 
and then there's the funeral. I go 15 minute Both. mark. Right. He wakes Starting up. From, We're talking about those in. He in, wakes up in, in the hospital. The one that continuous. Punch. Right. As, what feels like, that, like a symphony. That's when we're in a long distance race, and yes. it has that moment of like it's time to fucking get my kick in and go for the ending, and you see it accelerate towards the right. finish line. On on the soundtrack, yeah. that is one 12 what? minute track. What? From the time he wakes up to the end of the movie, Chris, and I think of that section. Oh, the big yes, fish of soundtrack, Chris. In how many? How long have we known each other? In how many media do you own it though? That's my how many, media? How many times have you like, purchased it? Do you have it, it on CD, CD? and digital? I, yeah, right. I don't own it on vinyl. I bought it on CD. I manually uploaded it onto my iTunes sure. circa 2006 uh-huh, uh-huh. and still have that in the cloud. Uh, you guys will like that. Okay, sidetracks. Yeah. We're talking soundtracks. Didn't plan on talking about this today. I was in the car recently and uh, had my iPod on. And I was with Allie and it was on shuffle. And a track came up. It was an instrumental track. Sure. And Hallie was like, what the hell is this? And I said, oh, it's, uh, I listened to it on my way to jujitsu class to get pumped up. It's the last of the Mohican soundtrack. Fucking right, Trevor Jones. My wife just paused and went, that is some midlife crisis (laughs) shit. I, I I listen to the last Mohican soundtrack. The best track, yes. I've talked about this. I listen to movie before. music all the time, mostly because I need something while I'm writing that's yeah. not uh, vocal. Yeah. yeah no can I now? Can I ask you, Dave, off of Griffin's point? Mm-hmm. I do feel like watching it back just yeah. a few nights ago in preparation for this. The length is in part because there's all these little vignettes, right? For sure. Yeah. Griffin's arguing that the ending. I agree with his the necessity argument. of them. See, I, I, even I, an unabashed. Uh, Defender of this movie. Sure. Is there a fun topic of discussion to be had? Which vignette would you lose? Wh- which one would There's you- no question which vignette you lose. Really? No question. Because okay. I debate I them heavily in my this. mind. There's no fucking question. And I would be sad to lose it because I think the payoff is nice, but there's no question what you lose. There's no question no. which vignette you lose. No. No. I think I know. There's one vignette where I'm like, mm. When I'm watching There's it. There's one vignette where yeah, you're where like, like mm. Okay, can I guess? Can I guess? Sure. And I'm going to go in the order of ones where I know it's not them. Okay. It's not the giant. No. Can't lose the can't giant. Can't lose the giant. Giant is incredible. Rules. You can't lose ben. Soggy Bottom. Hold, yeah, I mean, no, no way. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Keep talking. I'm going to say. Oh, David's playing close to the yeah, I'm enjoying this now. <laughs> He's not tipping <laughs> off his hands. You can't, you can't lose Spectre. No, him wandering right. into this weird. We should talk Stepford about Spectre, Wester. but yeah, you can't there's lose issues. Spectre. Yeah. You can't lose it. No, we have to talk wander about through the woods down the forbidden trail into this perfect town that seems so great. Right. Can't lose that. No, I love that part, but although we have to talk about it, him in the army. That's what you lose. I kind of. Agree. That's got to go. You lose the conjoined twins. I don't think that's got to go. But I, I think like you the, need to cut. I like something. the twins because I like the eventual reveal that they're just regular twins. They're just two ladies, right? I that's like, a I, lovely moment. I think that's a lovely moment. I don't like him with an English to Asian dictionary and like jumping into this fucking like ventriloquist where I'm just like, I get that it's a tall tale and that it's a little, you know, it's supposed to be inflated. It is What's one of those, going on it's here? A Siamese twins. Where you I'm go gonna, like, as opposed to the Steven Spielberg mo- version of the movie, you remember like, oh, right. Tim Burton is inherently a comedic filmmaker. Sure. And he cannot turn down what he thinks is a fun gag. Right. I would argue. Hit me. That when you were at that funeral. Yeah, and I agree. Starts, I agree with this. Starts to realize that all these things are true 
Yeah. But not as true. Yeah. That there's a middle ground that he never gave his father credit for. This and is he never bothered like, to ask. Right. I dropped down right. the levels of crying from like crying to sobbing. Which right. I, I will yeah. also say right. in rewatching it too, the idea that all these people were close enough to Finney, mm-hmm. they were close enough to Ed Bloom to travel to back for his funeral, yeah. oh, fuck. but that uh, none yes. of them came back throughout the entire course of Billy Crudup's life yeah. right. to visit and show, maybe get him to chill out and realize some of this was based in fact, is a flaw. It's a, that's a fa- actually a fair point. Yeah. I don't usually think about it. But That yeah. being said, yeah. I think that the conjoined twins showing up to you, everyone's amazement, and then separating where you go, oh. I so think it's amazing. It's, that I story was that. true. They That's just weren't, conju- that was the exaggeration. I'm just saying, if you're asking me what, a, what sure. which one to kill, See, I I'm disagree. killing that. I would put something out there, and maybe oh, no. your love. Who are going to kill? Well, I, it's a question for you guys, sure. because you are far more, obviously, film connoisseurs than I am. I would argue that if it wasn't name actors, you lose either Danny DeVito, at least for the length that he has, or Steve Buscemi as the bank robber. See, Buscemi I love, and I like that the character goes through weird stages. I love. I think the DeVito character maybe is a little too much. I don't think you give him as much time to tease out the here's a fact about your loved one and the werewolf. I think it's a little too much. (laughs) The werewolf thing is crazy because it's sort of like, and it turned out he was a werewolf, and you're like, it did? And they don't bring it up again. But Danny DeVito (laughs) wandering naked. I like that. Out of the woods. I like yeah. that. that. From behind shot. And the soggy bottom tier and gun moment is yeah. to me brilliant. The way they stretched out that I worked, once a year I got a fact. Once a year I got a fact. Once right. a year I got a fact. I don't think you give that half as much time if it's not Danny DeVito. Who, no. Agreed. If you remember back then too, I think he wasn't, I mean his peak was in the 80s, early 90s. Oh yeah, no. At this point he's full right. character actor. But he's American it's legend. Like this legend. is before- uh, always sunny. It's where before it kind always of sunny, where he's like just like I'm gonna fuck around, right. like in this next part of my career. And I wouldn't right. say it's quite as cool as Bill Murray showing up in Rushmore, but it's a similar thing of like, oh, it's that dude we used to love doing like a smaller one-off well, thing. You know what Tim Burton said? What's that? You know, Danny DeVito plays no, the ringmaster. Wait, hold on. I just want to say, Griffin. No, I do not know what <laughs> Tim Burton said. You know what he said famously. Dan DeVito plays the ringmaster. He's addressed to Congress. And right. Tim Burton's, we must tear down this wall. Uh, Danny, Danny DeVito, DeVito plays, plays the ringmaster ring in the upcoming uh, Tim Burton Dumbo, Dumbo movie. Yes. Yeah. And apparently Tim Burton just called him and said, Danny, we have to complete our circus trilogy. Right. Right. Penguin. Pitch. Oh, my God. Right. Penguin, big fish. Werewolf Dumbo. man. Is that true? He's done three top hat movies with Teddy DeVito leading a circus of outcasts. I did not realize that. So it's his his only way that he likes to use Dan DeVito, that and Rude Gambler. Rude Gambler. Rude Gambler is the outlier. Right. Mars Attacks. He plays a character in Mars Attacks called Rude Gambler. Dan DeVito is fourth build above the title in Mars Attacks for a character who has no proper name and less than six lines of dialogue. It just says, Tom Jones, it ain't unusual. It ain't unusual. (laughs) (laughs) It gets blasted to smithereens with a laser. We already talked about this for 75 minutes in that. Still funny, though. I do think, too, there's something that makes me giggle so hard about, like, so you're at the funeral, which is beautiful to me. And the giant. He's not 15 feet tall, but he's seven feet tall. Yeah, yeah. Tall guy? Yeah. The twins are there. They're not conjoined, but they're twins. Yeah, How much sure. of that is true? Lovely. 
Danny DeVito is just a dude with scraggly hair. <laughs> he does both. have the uh, the like the perspex cane, like yes. the you know, like the the clear cane. But you also go like, is this guy like a hundred now? <laughs> you know, because there like are some yeah, questions. You and McGregor like... turned into Albert Finney. DeVito just stayed DeVito the whole time. Like, yes. As we think about it, all of them did. Right. Well, you go McGregor. Buscemi's at least got gray hair, but yeah, McGregor yeah, at the beginning of the point. film is playing much younger. Like he's playing like high school, well, right? Early twenties. He's supposed to be 18. Like, I mean, and he's you know, 32 at this but point. But it's a tall tale, yeah, David. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I just say something also that distracted me upon the rewatch? Yeah. That's just condescending and pithy. Sure. And I don't remember this from other films I've seen him in. Does Ewan McGregor, especially in those young man scenes in Big Fish, kind of weirdly have meth teeth? <laughs> Something's going on. He's got some scraggly teeth. Like, was he a real heavy smoker or Probably. something? I mean, Probably. I yeah. mean, not to double down on stereotypes about British yeah. dental care, but it is poor. But it's not. Finny has weird teeth too. Finny's got sort of like. Yeah, well, I mean, Finny, young man. Finny grew up in like the. He was born in like the 30s. Like that. Britain right. genuinely had horrible dental care. Yeah, I yes. feel like with McGregor's dentist was that guy in the bathroom at Portaport. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had I had to listen. I've seen McGregor Holy before shit. this and after this, and even later in the same. You think he got movie. his teeth done? Yeah. Huh. But even later Maybe. on in Big Fish, but the scenes, yeah. particularly like the daffodil field scene, mm-hmm. when he has that big grin on yeah. his face, I was actually distracted. Where I was like, his teeth look like weirdly gray or something in a way they don't look for the rest of this entire movie. Maybe he was just like chain smoking up a storm. He could have been. Yeah. This is in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Oh, is it? Right. This is that period Uh, where they're like, I guess Ewan McGregor is like a major studio leading man. Well, it's also, I mean, here he's being cast, I feel like firmly in his Moulin Rouge role where it's like, he is a very pretty sweetie pie. And Down like, With Love is the other one. Where it's like, this love. is him doing like high sort of and stylized. Quadruple down on him doing an American accent, even though he is not good at it. He's not. And, and adding in a, an Alabama twang yes, this yes. time. But see, I'm into that. Like that's why I think this worked. <sighs> no, I think Dan- Ian McGregor is awful at a normal American He's accent. Not good. I think he gets He's the done latitude. It dozens of times. I think the latitude he gets in this movie is. He's playing a fantasy version of an actor already doing an over-the-top Southern draw. Yeah, you're giving him the laugh. Now, can I? I I'm going to say something since we're on the Crudup topic of the Southern doesn't have a Southern accent. Since we, I know. No, doesn't Crudup even try. Just, no. uh, he's just, yeah. Sounds like MasterCard ads. Crudup he's is playing so it. in MasterCard He is so underplaying it, except for any scene where he has to, like, pick up a phone or do some boring business. And that, I'm like, Crudup, chill out. Just yeah, pick up the phone a like a regular person. I remember, On the rewatch, yeah. I can admit it's a weird. Like, he, he does just not seem like a human being. Scenes where his intonation is 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 abnormal to the degree, degree you can't believe that Tim Burton didn't pull him aside and go like, "Speak like a normal fucking human <laughs> being." What are you doing in my movie? We were saying before we started recording that the thing, and I feel like I've heard him say this in interviews, especially at this time period. This was like his game he liked to play with himself. Was he would like look at a normal line of dialogue and try to figure out the weirdest way to say it. That Crudup said that. Yeah. That where people wonder that, why Billy Crudup that, yeah, didn't have a movie he would, he would star actually career. say right. that. Right. And it's not even like a Nicolas Cage thing where it's like, I want to find the most interesting take on my character that's unexpected. He was like, I will look at a line and try to break down what the obvious syntax would be and then put the emphasis on the wrong words and try to make it sound natural. Uh. 
And it's like just too much work, dude. He like, sucks. Okay, here's my problem. Yes, I with think the it movie. kills the okay, end. Okay, here He's is good in the end. you just said the sentence. Here is my problem with the movie. I'm excited for this because you know, like it's it's that I I need to be a little on his side, and I am at no point on his side. The whole movie is about right. a shithead son coming home to his dad and, and being him. like, "You fucking asshole!" With your stories, and you're like, "What else did the dad do?" And he's like. I don't know. He wasn't around a lot. And you're like, that's it? That's yeah. all you're mad about? You charmed this everybody guy's... and made them have fun at my <laughs> wedding with your fucking speech that charmed the room. Like, this is, I have to be on your side for two hours? So here's my what take. do you? You weirdly don't, more than yeah. any other movie I've ever seen, you, you, the actual hero, and by the John August script notes definition of right. the hero. Right. You don't have to worry about this person at I, all. I kind of agree with you because it is but amazing. A, the movie ends. It's a flaw. And the movie's moral is kind of like, relax. Your dad lightened up. Yeah. Wasn't so crazy. Once he gets to him telling the story, suddenly Crudup is just in the pocket, unfussy, not overplaying it, doing it well. He knows to sort of show up for that scene. Right. He's he's not an idiot. He knows this is important. Pretty tight close up. And he's like, he's killing that. Um, When I was 14 and I was all in on this movie, that performance worked for me. When I watch it now and I have my troubles, I think they mostly come from the fact that I have such a hard time dealing with Crudup. Because like yeah. even yeah. like Cotillard, you're so much on board with. I oh, forgot she like, is so fully so forgot she was in this movie. This She's is her first charming. American film. Yes. And her linking up with the dad immediately well, that's also the underlines she how She immediately much. turns on him. Right. She, and She's she like, this is the guy you were complaining about. You complained about this guy forever? Oh, I could like turn this off, guy is yeah. turn off the TV. This guy is Turn off the TV. He's so charming. Yes. Pour a cup of warm cocoa and listen to these guys' yarns. Yeah. Hey, hey, dickhead, have you not noticed that your dad is played by Albert <laughs> Finney? You lucky son of a bitch. Now, can I say something that I think, Griffin, you'll agree with? And yeah. David, I have a feeling might infuriate you. Okay. Based on what you've said mm-hmm. and because of your role and your job as a cultural sure. commentator. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought this when I first saw it. And even in the rewatch, I stand by it. Is I was watching this movie and it's dedication towards being sort of a Southern movie, the Southern exaggerator, mm-hmm. kind of this archetype of that I think very much of the American South, of the tall tale. He literally yarn. brings back the Deliverance kid. You know, the banjo guy oh, in this movie is the kid from is Deliverance. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That being said, when I watched this movie, I was like, oh, Huckleberry Finn to kill a mockingbird. Sure. Big fish. <laughs> You're putting it all the way up Hell. there. <laughs> yeah. The idea of the kids who get themselves so worked up about Boo Radley and mm. sure Boo Radley is this That's recluse, the tradition but he's, that the but he's story a damaged is guy with a good heart. <laughs> Huckleberry Finn who it. tells these tales and lies sure. to get, you know, and Tom Sawyer even more so maybe. Mm. Watch telling, out for that. Kid. Telling the lies he's to get trouble. what he wants, but he's also like a devil may care charmer. Sure. It's an right, archetype I love that I feel like, oh, has there been a cinematic entry into that? I don't think as so. Much no, as much as Albert Finney's character. Tricky, like, tricky. And in this movie. And the great Southern novels, right? A lot of the great. Yes. I mean, there's Southern Gothic, and this is sort of the opposite of that. It's more the sort of Southern fairy tale stuff right. where you're like, can we talk about what's going on? And you're like, and the movie's like, that we got to put that over there. We can't right. talk about it. We can't talk about reality. Let's talk about like 
these lovely, you know, sort of magical communities and like the trees, the weeping you did say willows. We have to talk about Spectre. We gotta talk about we Spectre. Talk. What just, the fuck is going on in Spectre? I just want to say, Chris, there are some rules that they is it don't evil? mention. Is it good or evil? Well, that's what I kind of like about it. You're talking about too. that it's like but there's I think something the movie weird in this town. And dig the- a little deeper. In the second Once he half. goes back, sure. When she's saying, like, you're saying this town's not going to change, I'm like, right, let's talk about it. But yeah. then they just don't kind of kind of don't talk I about just want to say, Chris, because you're exactly. you're such a good storyteller and you were at this point so well-oiled in when to take your dramatic beats in any sort of uh, yeah, story yeah, yeah. you're telling or point you're making, when you were building up that defense, I thought you were genuinely going to say, big fish, huckleberry, hound. Ooh. You took a long beat in between, and Ooh. I thought that was going to be your defense was relating to Stockleberry Hound. Wow! And I was strapped in, but I didn't know if you could if you could land. I that wish plane. I wish I had landed that punchline, Huckleberry Griffin. Do you yeah. know anyone? Because you have known me pretty much since I started performing before yeah. we were friends. Yes, I I was a, a big fan of yours from the time you started performing. Does it make sense to you? I feel like I don't know clearly in terms of legend building with a wink and a nod. Uh-huh. Is there any comedian who came out of New York that has done that more than me in an Ed Bloom-esque way? No, no. And I didn't even realize because we just sort of threw to you. I like, sort of am an Ed Bloom-esque guy who knows how to tell a story that's right. true and leave out all the context. Right. That's pretty much all my stand-up yeah. and everybody who started liking me 10, 12 years ago, right. that's what they liked about me. If like, right. oh. And I literally, like the same year that I'm like seeing Big Fish eight times in theaters, my friend and I are scouring the UCB website to figure out any show that you're in because I'm trying to explain to people like, this guy has these crazy stories that don't make sense. Sure. Like and I don't understand what his do. life is right. in between these stories. Right. In the Big Fish kind of way. Like, just like You guys would be fascinated by this. So there's a story we covered for Weird New Jersey. It's uh, in the woods of Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. People for many decades have been telling tales of someone called the Bunny Man, who's a man who dresses in a pink bunny suit sure. and attacks people with an axe. Oh. Some people say that he's an escapee from a, a lunatic asylum. Some people say that he killed all these rabbits and stitched together this really fucked up, not pink, like fucked up looking bunny suit right. and all this stuff. And it's a great story. It's a great story. But what I love the most about it is you can find a newspaper article from the early 70s where there were two people um, making out in a car in a half-built condo development, and a man in a bunny suit came charging out of the woods, waving a hatchet around, yelling something about they shouldn't be developing this area, this is farmland, uh-huh. and kind of threw the hatchet at the car and ran away. Clearly like a maniac. Yeah. But it was real on some level. Sure. He didn't kill dozens of people in the woods. Right. And that's the type of story I've always been in love with is there's a kernel of truth. That's the type of story I always try to tell in my comedy. Yeah. Is, and my wife always gives me shit about this where she's like, the story you're telling is true, but it's not true. She wants, she's crud up. She's like, give me the context. She's not crud up because she's not a fucking stick in the mud denying (laughs) who she is and where she came from for totally arbitrary, unexplained reasons. But she, especially since we got married and now sometimes the stories involve her. Right. She has held my feet to the fire a little bit more of like, if you leave out the context that involves me, it might make me look crazy or severe in sure. ways I wasn't. Sure. I, and I, lo- guess, I love a good lie that's not a lie. Yeah. Well, and I think, and this movie's a tribute to that. And I don't know if there's another one that. I, I, no. no, I not, think not that's the thing. The memory. themes, what this movie is about is something I am so in on. 
you know, what I think is such rich, fertile territory about our relationship to stories. Sure. And how we process the truth and why we mythologize things. And well, that makes so much sense that John August later went on to start script notes as right. well. The other scene in this movie that I think is great and doesn't get enough credit is uh-huh. the Robert Guillaume scene where he tells That's, Billy Crudup the story. I was telling Ben that scene's a master that scene. That That's scene John so August is probably the turning point. Move. Probably yes. the turning point right. towards the scene. ending. That right. being said, did rewatch it and think to myself in a very weird way has, and I have to assume it's because of like racial politics in America has, has an actor ever, how would I say it? Cause I have great respect. Has there ever been an actor more criminally underutilized throughout the course of his career sure, than Robert Keown? Robert Keown, right. He's I, always yeah. playing like an ancillary. Yes. In movies, And he's yes. the fucking best. Yeah, even TV, when he got his he, own TV show, it was still kind of like, well, the premise is that he's sort of ancillary to the main family. Right. Like Benson, that was his role. Yeah. But no, it, one of those guys who's criminally underutilized, and you watch him in this, and you're you just will like, watch it anything what a fucking says. elegant actor. Like, he's an elegant like, actor. Yeah. It's a tr- tremendous scene. I do like it is a scene where he has to sit down with a fucking grown ass man who's about to have a child and be like the value of, uh, you know, these kinds of stories is that they make things a little more interesting. And Billy Crudup is like an atomic bomb just went off like this. You're a grown man. Right. Understand how hard is that to understand? I still think that scene is so good. So the Crudup thing is obviously like what the movie struggles with now, not exclusively, but what like makes the movie lumpy. Right. And uh, I I had this realization watching it last night where I was like, this movie has sort of the opposite of what worked so well in Black Panther. Okay. Ride me out on this one. Keep going. Keep going. Which is that like Black Panther, the thing that blows my mind is that Coogler was like, I'm going to take my personal experience, my thoughts and feelings, put it into the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know the audience is automatically going to be on Black Panther's side because he's the hero of the movie and he does heroic things. Sure. I'm going to try to invest everything that I believe in into a character who then on top of that does villainous things so that the audience cares about the villain because I'm putting my heart and soul into that character so that right. he feels like a fully rounded thing and not a plot device or stakes or something like that. Right. I think this movie has a weird thing where Tim Burton is making this movie after his father has died sure. when he's about to become a dad. He said that he had a terrible relationship with his father uh-huh. in a sense that his father just was like, I don't get it. Why are you drawing so many circles around the eyes, Tim? You know, uh, okay. his father wasn't mean, but was just like, just the fundamental I openly disconnect, don't like, understand myself. I had a kid and the kid's just weird and I He's don't know what weird. to do. Why doesn't he sure. want to play catch? Right, right. And he died and he was having all these sort of mixed emotions about it, on top of that. He's becoming a father and he's trying to figure that out. And he gets the script and it hits him like a ton of bricks. But I think to Tim Burton reading the script, Weirdly, Billy Crudup is his father, where he has contempt for the fact that the guy doesn't get it. Uh-huh. Where, whereas right. most Come people- Come live in the real world. I think most people who would make this film, most directors would be like, well, obviously the relatable human character is the son, and sure. the father's a fabulous, and you have to slowly over the course of the movie get the audience on board with the father. Right. And Tim Burton is so charmed by the father because the way the father makes his world around him is exactly what Tim Burton wants to fucking do. Right. With his art, and the son is just some pill, you know. Now, is so there... I don't think he's openly like, "I hate this fucking guy," but I think it seeps into the movie, combined with Billy Crudup being such an antagonistic actor. Now, Griffin, I think there might be something there. That's theory A. Okay, so it's father stuff. Is there any world in which you might buy that it's a very similar thing, except instead of Billy Crudup representing Tim Burton's doubting father, 
this entire movie was made as a reaction and commentary to um, how America received Planet of the Apes. That's theory. And Albert Finney is the Tim Burton yarn spinner. And Billy Crudup represents all of America who <laughs> represented, audience of America. Who absolutely rejected his most recent yarn. Right. Or, or Billy Crudup could also just represent like the studio system. Right. Like Billy Crudup represents Hollywood. And, and he's he just making like. Making some commentary in the same way that uh, I always felt like Chasing Amy made some commentary about clerks and mall rats. Right. Hey, Blank Check listeners, I'm Adam Kempinar. And I'm Josh Larson. We're the hosts of Film Spotting. Which is basically Blank Check, except in Chicago. That's not true. We both talk about movies. Sure, but we're not very funny. But the movie thing. That's the same. Also, long shows. In-depth reviews and interviews. Right. Ethan Hawke, Paul Schrader, and Bo Burnham were all on last year. Plus, top five lists and other stuff every Friday since 2005. Ryan Johnson said that nice thing about us once. A force for good in the universe. He probably regrets saying that. Too late. We're keeping it. Film spotting wherever you get your podcasts. Have a good show, Griffin and David. The clear thing is that, you know, in this movie, Tim Burton is relating to both versions of Edward Bloom. Sure. Because that's the kind of world he wants to create around him. And Billy Crudup represents everyone who hasn't gotten Tim Burton in his life. That is fair. And that's what we, I think, have. The, I've never thought about the, it. The audience surrogate. That's what I'm but saying Tim is the problem Burton, with this movie. Tim Burton hates the main character of <laughs> right, this movie. Right. I'm saying it's the opposite of the Black Panther thing, where he hates the audience Let me, let me give you some context. Yeah. I want to give you some further context. Just, just about the movie. That I... Like, I feel like sort of matters to the com- commercial sure. discussion of Tim Burton. One is that Plan- <laughs> Ben is also making the face of someone who absolutely does not give a shit ben about does Big not Fish. like this movie. Ben has not said a not word. He doesn't want to get into this conversation. Out, fuck out zoning out to a degree where he was watching a different movie in his head rather than even think <laughs> about Big Fish. Assassin's Creed was and, playing. Oh, yeah. Ben has seen the Michael Fassbender Assassin's Creed movie <laughs> 10 times. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt, but I had to call it out. So you were saying one, one thing, as you said, is that Nicholson was initially going to play this dad role. Right. They reworked the script to give it more dad yes. because the script. Finney's actually not in like a ton of the movie. No, they also at for a period of time thought it was going to be Nicholson with CGI de aging and makeup playing both versions, which is Whoa. fucking, which would have been a night. I would have, I would pay a hundred dollars. <laughs> Remember what Jack Nicholson looks like at this time, and imagine them trying to be like, "You're gonna need a lot of CGI." Let's bring, let's bring him back to a pre-Chinatown age. I'm the star quarterback of my football team in high school. <laughs> and he, it's something's gotta give era Jack right, Nicholson. Right, he's so eventually. That, and Nicholson obviously is a frequent, you know, knows Burton well. Yes, but for whatever Bert, for whatever reason, that just I don't know that falls apart, and they get to Finney and right, you know, and and uh, after that, John August resets and he goes, "I'm not going to do the script." They that's threw based out on, the right. new script, and they go, let's go back to the original script that blew everyone away. Right. Let's throw out this revamp thing. Right. Really? Didn't Here's the other thing, as you say, Burton was like the script. Planet of the Apes had been this big Mishigas that he was kind of not into. Yeah. Famously, when asked if he wanted to make another one, he said, I'd rather jump out a window. Right. And the sense is that's the first movie that he feels like he lost control of. Sure. So he says, I want to make a smaller movie. Uh-huh. The budget of Big Fish is $70 million. Yes. Yes. What? This was an expensive movie. Hugely expensive. I mean, you got to make- built sets. You, you know. have to make a giant appear 15 feet tall for yeah. an extended period of time. You got Spectre. I assume that's an entirely constructed- There's so many locations. There's you know, so many time like periods. They've got million? like that big house that gets, you know, yeah. that they push. There's a lot of stuff. Did they yeah. make it back? 
No, no. that's well, I mean, shocking. To they know. might have made it back worldwide. worldwide. I know it did really well on hundred video. Whatever. I mean, no one's yeah. you know whatever. Yeah. Fuck. But like, this is the Burton problem where everyone's like. Well, his smaller movies don't do as well, so then he feels compelled to make the bigger stuff. No, he can't make small movies. Uh, when he's making a small, small movie, Big Eyes cost, is a small movie. Yeah, Big Eyes was fairly cheap, it right? Costs like $9 million, I mean, $10 million. You would have to work hard to make Big Eyes expensive. <laughs> like it's, yeah, but you know he could have done it if you let him. But, um, like, you know, this, this, is, this is your smaller movie? This? Yeah, like. Yeah. It made it made sixty six million dollars in America. Right to me, watching this movie, that's what I would expect this movie to make. Yeah, you don't watch this movie and think like, "Wow, America really whiffed on that." Well, like, but here's that the this thing: wasn't a I sensation. think their big swing is what if Tim Burton can make his Forrest Gump? Exactly. I was just going to say, let's notion. not forget Forrest we're only a few Gump years is out from Forrest Gump. Impossible to replicate, and insane that it was such a big movie. Agreed, but yes. like, oh, I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked about it. I mean, Endlessly it comes up in that. weird ways, but but as recently as like, if first re- case of Benjamin Button is clearly like, can we do Forrest Gump again? Sure. Ben Stiller in interviews have, was I like, no- Walter Mitty is me trying to do Forrest Gump. Stop it's, it's trying, guys. Anomalous I've never re- I haven't rewatched Forrest Gump since almost since it came out. Have you guys watched it? That recently? thing is a fucking slog in my yeah. opinion. My, my sister slog. is 21. And again, she has watched a nice it for ending. the first time a year yeah. ago. And she went, what the fuck is right. that? Well, first you have to just sit them down and be like, let me tell you about baby boobs. Like, you know, like that has to be the first right, conversation right, where it's right. like, yeah. you don't understand. They were all 30 years old. They you were know. passing us, the t- my generation, the right. torch in a weird way. Exactly. Or they were like 30 to 50 years old. They'd all watch the fucking moon landings and right. live through Vietnam. Like, you don't understand. It has this movie was hitting track them. Albums. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, their lives was like, their lives were like a weirdly negative base level with moments of cultural victory. Yes, right. right. And right. like Forrest Gump is just like, what if a guy lived in every memory that you have of your childhood, right. essentially, you know, and walked through it. But and it's then also, at the end he has a kid and the kid's Hillary right. Joel Osment. It's this weird epic that is so long, so expansive, so right. expensive, and so oddly pitched in terms of tone. I mean, it's being there, you know, it is just being there in my opinion. But it's being but there long... done with like the self-importance of like Lawrence of Arabia. Yes, yes, That's yes, the thing. So I think like they were like. <laughs> but then also it's like kind of goofy and like about That's a guy I'm who's saying. special. Right. <laughs> like That's and you're like, what? Wild. <laughs> like if they release this movie now. Tom Hanks would go to jail. Yes. He would be convicted and sent to jail. It would be regarded as the most tasteless choice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. The hippie gets AIDS. Like everything about that movie now is here. just like Bubba Gump. You think that would fly in 2019? You think that's going to fly? <laughs> Wouldn't fly. Would try that. <laughs> the restaurants are still around though, right? Yeah. They are. Hugely grandfather claws that one in, <laughs> yeah. huh? Well, because people are like. I like shrimp. Like, I like to eat shrimp. Yeah. I got no beef with it. As long as I don't have to actually, be exposed to a lot I, of Bubba gum. I went there, and on the menu, it actually says, their catchphrase is actually, don't think too hard about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do anyway. you know, though, but like, you're right. Big gum. Fish is being Don't think too hard about it. Do you in know, that yes. uh, Forrest Gump zone of, right. like, can and, we make a sort of family-friendly but more adult yes. sort of epic about and you go through American history not in the same sort of like touchstone way but (laughs) do you know like the the book that Forrest Gump is based on has a a plot line where he like goes to the moon yeah and there's a sequel where he opens a company there's a sequel called Gump Incorporated where he like opens a factory and it's about like capitalism right that's the the book is a little more venomous I think that's the thing the book is like I think closer to like 
Everyone. America. Right. Like, you know, it's kind of like fucking America. I think would the lie book this is guy, like you know, fifth like, rate Vonnegut. And then they took it and made it into like a really life is like, like a box of chocolates. Right, sort and of like, like saccharine sure family. Is. Like, and everyone loved it. And I want to see this eight times. It was like, like the third highest grossing movie in history. history. Like it anyway. like outgrossed Star Wars at the time. <laughs> sure. I remember my parents came home and my parents are not very sentimental. Yeah. Sure. Or emotional people. And they sat me down and said, we just saw a movie and you have to go see it. This is important. Immediately. Wow. Tom Hanks had won Best Actor the year before and they were like, well, it put us between a rock and a hard place. Right. We cannot not give him the Oscar for Forrest Gump. Once again, he would go to jail this <laughs> yes. in 2019. They'd be like, what are you doing? Is he like me? Like if he came on set and did that, like someone would call HR. Yeah. Like Tom Hanks is like talking in this goofy voice and I'm very uncomfortable. Right. Right. Do you Getting think strangers chocolate? <laughs> do you think that at the funeral at the end of Big Fish, that Billy Crudup approached a certain character and was like, "Hey, uh, I think I've heard about you. Are you uh, Mr. Soggy Pop?" <laughs> <laughs> and then Soggy Bottom has to be like, yeah yeah, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, I shot your dad." <laughs> does he? Does he like catch the bullet? The bullet does not mention. Clips him. I think he clips him. I clips think it's him. a very low caliber gun. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was just a inside the belly, <laughs> the a tummy gun. belly of a, on, a little Chris. person. Chris, you just got to deliver the gun. silver. You're not trying yeah. to kill your friend. Right. You're just trying to get that silver in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's basically like a uh, high grade hypodermic needle to right. inject some silver. But can we talk about Spectre? Yeah, let's, yes, I want to hear because you seem like well, it's all right. So after oh, a his very strange combination the of witch, frustrated, you know, the witch is sort of the first big story, but the second Miley big story, Cyrus, Miley Cyrus, her is first in the screen there. appearance mm-hmm. is the little girl who goes to the witch's house with them. Yeah, she's credited as with by her birth name, which is Destiny Cyrus. Right? Is that true? That is that Miley is Cyrus. Totally true. Edward Don't is Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Why? Yeah, completely. It not. also, I just want to say the witch sequence has one of my favorite jokes in the movie, if you can call it that. Go which ahead. is when all the boys start cursing to show that they're cool, and the one kid goes, screw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A very young man moment. Yes. Um, screw. Screw. But then, and the second story is the you know, the giant and him sort of coaxing the giant to like be cool. Be cool and have an adventure with him, right? Like walk down the road with him, right? Right. right. Um, a man born with medical conditions that cause him to have the angles of a Tim Burton drawing. Right. Really, a really striking person to look at who died not long Matt after McGorry. this movie. Yeah. yeah Matt yeah. McGorry. 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 Right. Well, yeah. I realized I looked him up upon my rewatch. He's tiny. He was a Howard Stern whackpacker. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 He was he's, in the whackpack. He's also in the House of Thousand Corpses. Movie. He's seven feet tall. Yeah. He's a huge man. Yeah. Uh, seven six. Seven six. He had the longest toe. That was his Guinness record. Longest. Which imagine toe. that. Imagine being I don't know. How long is that toe? Let's find out. Longest toe, Guinness World Record. Here we go. You've tried to talk about Spectre at least eleven <laughs> times. <laughs> and not the James Bond movie. Uh let's see, tw- twelve five inches long. Five inches long. Five inch toe. That's a big toe. That's a big toe. That's a big ass. That's toe. A, big That's a big toe. toe. I mean, I'm surprised yeah. it hasn't been beat, but it's a big toe. <laughs> yeah. He's still on there. It, wow. This is today's Guinness. Anyway, they hit that fork in the road. They hit the fork in the road where it's like take the easy path or the scary path. And I know yeah. of one guy who went this way and he's never been seen again. Right. Nor the which Winslow. Is, which is the poet. Right. The poet. And Edward's like, well, I feel like I should take the more dramatic path. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, is that his whole reasoning? Right. 
And he goes into this He's town. a man who believes that he's destined to live a great life. Right. And he knows when he's going to die. So he's not afraid of death. He's not afraid of death. Mm-hmm. This isn't how I go. And so he wanders in. And what does he find? This weird spooky town that's kind of like off the map. Barefoot town. Barefoot. Your shoes get thrown on a wire. A little mm-hmm. hamlet. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. got fairy lights. It kind of looks like a sort of Instagrammable wedding spot. Mm-hmm. You know now what it I mean? does. Like now, yeah. It would have a hashtag. Now it yeah. would have a hashtag. Yeah. Now, it now you get yeah. like mason jar, lemonades yes. and stuff yeah. there, yes. right? Right. But it's like this, uh, presided over by Loudon Rainwright III. As, uh, of course. Of course. Obviously. <laughs> who's sort of like the mayor. <laughs> yeah. Is he? Kind of. Missy Pyle, who's sort of a... Yeah. Becoming a Burton regular now. Right. And the second she appears in this movie, you're like, God, he must have been so happy when he found her. Yeah, when he found out that she existed. Right. Like, this is like a Catherine O'Hara level, like, you belong in a timber. 100%. Movie I love Missy Pop. I do too. Missy Pop rule. And you gotta, what are the rules? You can't leave. You yeah. gotta have bare feet. Yeah. There's nothing to do. Most people wear white, but that's not 100% of them. No. They wear, Even the water they, is sweet. The people wear a lot of white clothes. They've yeah. also got a lot of white skin, I'm noticing here. Oh, oh sure. wait. The you, whole town gathers and there's all white people. What's going on? You seem to lose your abilities at poetry once you're yeah. there. <laughs> sure. He's Implication. Well, there's nothing to do. It's like but, total stasis. Spectre right? is really great. <laughs> you're right. Which is wait, really wait, what were you going to say? Great? I was going to say, I wonder if that applies to all skills or just that character's poetry. It seems like, to be a low ambition town. I mean, people aren't really working. You get it's in, sort of like a parody of a small town. Yeah. yeah. But it is also the, a parody of like a segregated town. Sure. And the movie just 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 kind of glances against that and doesn't mm-hmm. know what to doesn't doesn't want to deal with that. Doesn't deal with that. Yeah. And instead it just sort of becomes this parable of like you know, paradise is is you know, is what you make of it. You know what I mean? Like it's like this place is ostensibly paradise, but you McGregor, you know, Ed's not ready for it. Right, I don't want to settle. And, you know, when he gets back to it, it's too late. And, like, he he, he lost his chance at a pair, right? You know, like, sure. paradise is more than a place. You're going to, you have to be ready for it. Yeah. Okay. But it's also, like, this weird white people town in Alabama. But then also. <laughs> What's going on? Sure. But then also, I mean, the Helena Bomb Carter scene is, like, no, it was just, like, a town. It was, like, a small town. Of course. That wasn't that, very sustainable. And right. to him, it just seemed idyllic. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. There's an, an interesting thing about this movie that I wonder if you two think about based on where you grew up, mm. which is I think so much of this movie is also about choosing choosing to be worldly when you're from a small place. Right. Mm. And what that means sure, sure, and how sure. attainable that really is. Which is tough because Dave and I both spent our entire lives in New York City. We never yeah. lived anywhere else. So, Whereas I'm from northern New Jersey, a right. place that a lot of people look down on and make fun of. Sure. Not in the same sure. ways, but I feel like you think about the Deep South and people have some cast dispersions. For sure. And when you're from a place like that. Making the decision to leave. But also still have pride. Of course. When you live in a small world, maybe, maybe you can construct a, a bigger world for yourself in legend. And that's okay. Sure. There was a lot of stuff like that that I found really fascinating and kind of beautiful. And I wonder about yes. your thoughts on it. Well, see, I didn't have the small town thing, but I definitely, like, from a very young age, was obsessed with this notion of, like, I want to live a quote-unquote great life in the sense of, like, the breadth of the life and, like, the experiences I accumulate right. and going to different places and putting myself in different environments. I mean, it's a lot of the stuff that you talk about where, you know, you're sort of self-mythologizing of you putting yourself in all these crazy situations. There's value in that you get the stories out of them. But I also think there's the thing of just, like, 
I want to push myself into environments I should not organically be finding myself right. in, into working jobs that aren't innately the job I should be doing, you know? Like, that sort of sense of Edward Bloom is this guy who's just like, I need to live as much life as I possibly can. The greatness is in the sort of, like, the yeah, but he did variety it. of it. And this is where I agree with Crudup. Yeah. Whereas Crudup is like, wait a second, you've lived an ordinary life. You went to college, you met my mom, then you were a traveling salesman and you made money, but you weren't around, and that's it. And you bought a house. Like, what's so fucking great about that? You know what I mean? Like... And I'm not I'm not saying I fully agree with Crudup, yeah. but I get that Crudup is sort of like, I've grown up and I've realized my dad was just a guy who, like, had an ordinary-ish life. But also to that guy, it's like, even if half the stuff is bullshit, there are some interesting experiences there. Absolutely. If right. your dad then, told you, like, did I ever tell you I worked movie. at a circus for six months? You'd be right. like, whoa, you worked at a circus yeah, for six crazy. months? What are you talking about? You served about? in the war, you were a traveling salesman, exactly. you met these people. Well, but, that's also why, as you bring it up and as we talk it out, the one moment with Crudup Outside of the ending with the dad, the one moment where I start to really sympathize with him is the scene with Helena Bonham Carter when he goes, he's having an affair. Right. right. That's right. the explanation right. Right. he's looking for for his father. That's, that's one of the only the ones where he's not just thing a that he finally speaks. Yeah. Right. And right. maybe that maybe the movie would have been well served for something like that to come out a little earlier versus just him going, I don't like you with all your shit. But you understand his resentment at that moment. You understand it really for the first, and I would say only time, the depths of it. Way more than your dad just crushed a wedding speech and you're being an (laughs) asshole. (laughs) Who doesn't want that? He's so upset about that. He really hates that he showboated at the wedding. Yeah, and which is also, I get it, you're making it about you, but they didn't, that wasn't nailed that hard. But that idea of him going, oh, my dad might have actually been it's not just that my dad's an exaggerator. It's that he might have been a real shitty dude. We well, kind of feel lying. like this Here's movie the thing needs in the first this. 10 minutes is, a scene where Billy Crudup says, to I just Cotillard. always assume yes. that my father must be covering for he something. He says it to his wife. And here's, that's my fix for this movie. Or right. right. It's like, you need to build that in sooner because when he says it, it's kind of a powerful moment when he says it to Helena Bonham. And then when she responds like, and is like, oh, oh we're shit. jumping right into right. it. But then you already know, like, now this movie's been going on too long and we're too in on Finney for that to be the twist. Because that's the problem is that Burton loves the Finney character. He loves the life that this guy's living. He doesn't want it to be questioned. Whereas the story Helena Bottom Carter tells is basically a story of, like, no, we didn't have an affair, but we did have this relationship that kind of, like, just sort of... Was intimate, emotionally intimate. Right. Right. Like, that was in the air and... Eventually, we didn't really act on it, and that was that. But yeah. it was a moment, a weird moment in your dad's life yeah, where sure. he was maybe pondering, yeah, like, oh, should I, Spectre, should I, you right. know, like, and the movie kind of, but like, if you had built that in a little more, I feel like it'd be even more powerful when he, you know, when they almost kiss and he, he says no. Sure. And instead, it's more just a fairy tale where he's like, no, you know, Jessica Lange's the only lady for me. And you're like, all right. Well, right. Yeah, Jessica Lange, the definition of doing a lot with a little. Doing a lot with a little. And, and again, like as an Oscar watcher, everyone was yeah. like, Lange's getting a nomination. A Look right. at her. She's luminous. And instead, yeah. like, she is great in the movie, just as you say, right. anytime she's in it, but she's barely. Yeah. I do have to ask, and I feel like this is something we'll cover at some point. Did it get any nominations? One. Best score. Best score. That's it. That's it. And people thought, like, even when this movie came out and it didn't, okay, so it's not going to be the runaway sensation. People were like, but probably like Finney. And like some design elements. Design and you know, effects. That almost all feels that like an aggressively anti It, it felt kind of backhanded. Burton. And it's weird also that this is the first and only Danny Elfman, Tim Burton score to get nominated. Right. Uh. Like, he had done so many iconic scores with Tim Burton. 
And then this movie where people thought it would be an across the board Oscar player, they're like, we'll finally develop it. Did it win for score? No. no. It lost. What, what, that's so three. That's the little, well, you know what? We'll get to it. Finney really should have won for this, though. Globes. I mean, this year, and also because it's like this was the last big bite at the apple he had. The Finney never won an Oscar is a shame. He right. also never went to the Oscars and thought they were stupid. Sure. So, you know, props to him for that. That's pretty rad. I right. saw, I'd forgotten he won the SAG for Aaron Brockovich, but did he not show up when he was won? He's not at the Oscars. He's not at the Oscars. For the SAG, he won, though. Oh, I'm I don't saying. know. I don't think so. I was trying to find a People, clip to the see. The SAGs were barely a thing back then. It was literally, it was I like think, the first year. Old I think it was no. the first No, no, no. It's 95 is the first Jesus. Don't, don't, don't. Don't talk to an Oscar watch. You can talk Burton. I can talk awards. Stone Cold Sims. Born on those Oscar boards. Entering this studio (laughs) is a real exercise. I fully (laughs) cannot believe you ever deigned to do it. You are a busy man with things to do. It's like I feel like I can just barely keep up. Oh, sure. And then there's moments where Where you're like, oh, I'm I'm left at the roadside. Well, some people... Well, I've said this on the podcast, but some people will say like, I'd listen to your podcast, but it's, you're like speaking a foreign language. Yeah. Like if I turn it on, I just don't I mean, know what you're talking about. I this is why, not to get too insidery, the episode, J.D. Amato is one of the only other people I know who can keep up with conversations this insane. Keep sure. up? He's lapping us yeah. up, you know, yeah. like, yeah. He's, he's, he's on another that's plane. That's when his track training comes <laughs> in. He starts sprinting. <laughs> but I just want to say, <laughs> the movie was ignored by the Oscars. Yes. But like, the Golden Globes nominated for Best Sporting Picture Actor, and for Finney. Picture, right. The BAFTAs nominated for Best Picture for, for Finney. Yeah. Like, all the other sort of precursors yeah, were like... it seemed like, right. Yeah. And I think it might have been one of those things where the Oscars don't like Burton. They don't. They, they never don't. have. They don't. And also, because the movie kind of flopped after yeah. all the hype, maybe it was that sort of like, eh, that thing's a stinker. Burton has two Oscar nominations, and they're both for animated films. Right. Yeah. And they're for animated films that people don't like. Yeah. Which it was more like Frank and Weenie and Corpse Bride. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Where it's sort of like they have an animated feature category. They have to fill out five. But wait, know. not even for design and effect stuff for his earlier stuff? I mean, a couple. Batman won a production design Oscar. Two of his not- films have won costume. Yeah. yeah. Right? Such a nerd. Sleepy Anything Hall. for scissor hands? No scissor hands? No scissor hands. No what, Beetlejuice? What? No. What? Right. Sleepy Hollow production design. Mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland weirdly wins. Is his most costumes, winning film? Yeah. Wins costumes and art direction? That sounds right. Yeah. Which is a, a yeah, garish right. movie. You guys don't. You know this movie. off the top of your head. Yeah, we're disgusting people. Can I, so, uh, <laughs> Throw us in jail. Uh, my, my girlfriend. Send you to Spectre. <laughs> yeah, right. Send us to Spectre. My girlfriend uh, grew up watching Red Dwarf. I don't know if either of you ever watched I Red, Red Dwarf. I love Red Dwarf. I grew I up in England, okay? I fucking grew up in England. Of course I watched Red Dwarf. That thing was fucking incredible. Right. Red Dwarf Red Dwarf rules. is like a silly sitcom set on a spaceship. Very, very, like, cult popular. Have right. you ever heard it's of it? It's like a no. working like class sanitation guy on a British spaceship who, as punishment, they put him in cryosleep, and he wakes up three million years later, and humanity is dead. Okay. And now he's stuck on a spaceship with a hologram and a computer. And a cat and person. A cat, they, a cat person. Do they watch movies and make fun of them? Uh, no, it's very, not mystery it's science. Theater. It's also very similar. Pre mystery science theater, yeah. Weird. like early tip of the eighties. And it was one of those things that, like, just one of those British sitcoms that they would do like four episodes every couple years. You know, Red Dwarf right. would come back, and that you know, cool thing they allowed to yeah. do. Yeah. Where they're right. like, hey, yeah, we got them back together. Yeah. And, but also, like, the show weirdly has you know has like a lot of plot, and like by right. the end is quite convoluted. Like, yes. 
But they've but, done like 10 seasons over like 35 years. How yeah. come you're allowed to do that in Britain where it's like, hey, let's, uh, I know we haven't made anything in 11 years for this one series, but let's do an Easter special. Yes, holiday special. Let's do an Easter special for this thing. I no believe one's still seen the in most watched years. television program in British history is The Only Fools and Horses, like a random Christmas special for Only Fools and Horses, wow. which is like a, a like venerable sitcom yeah. about two guys who are like, all right, well, oh, you know, and like drive a van and do yeah. odd jobs. Like it's like they're Sanford and Son. Right? It's, it's Sanford yeah. and Son. I mean, Sanford yeah. and Son is based on Stepdown Son, which is a British. Sitcom. Oh right, um, yes. <laughs> British sitcoms, man, they're the best. This was the point I was going to make about Red Dwarf. Okay, <sighs> my girlfriend grew up watching Red Dwarf, and she was like, "Look, I don't know if you ever watched this. I've really fond memories of it. I've been curious to rewatch it and see if it holds up." And she's like, "Do you want to watch this mm. with me?" I'm sitting there watching it, and she kept on feeling like, "Am I putting this on you? Or are you sure, not sure. really are you into, into this?" It? Or you... And I was like, "No, I'm like really into it." Crichton, Crichton rules. Well, Crichton doesn't come until season three. That's He's true. only in That's episode true. one of season two, and then season three comes. Crichton's fucking great, though. Crichton rules. I agree. Crichton slaps. But we're watching the show, and she doesn't believe I'm into it. And then I start correcting her on facts, and she's like, "What do you mean you're correcting me on facts? You've only watched eight episodes of this show, sure. and I grew up watching it." And I was like. When I get into something, I like, right. You're all in. I can't half measure. <laughs> yeah. Like you showed me two episodes, and then I spent four hours on the Wikipedia page, yeah. and then reading the links connected to the Wikipedia. She must have felt good that you liked it. She did. It was a nice. Yeah, that's moment. like your version of a compliment, right? right but it's she, like, but she did say where she was you're like, like, "I'm so into the lore that now right. I know more than you." Right, but she was like, "You really do go hard right. on shit, yeah. huh?" Right. And she, I'm sure there was a part of her that was like, oh, cool, you've taken this from me. (laughs) (laughs) You're mansplaining a show I watched with my father. I introduced you to a thing that you're now uh, looking down your nose at my lack of knowledge about. Does she like other like British sitcoms? Be like, <clears throat> Actually, Crane doesn't come until Could, do they? Does she like other British sitcoms? Like, can she's I talk to her about like Father person. Ted? Okay, okay, I don't think. I, she's a big fan of Blackadder. Well, Blackadder fucking rules. Yeah, that's I don't the know greatest as sitcom. much. That's, that's the British top sitcom. of the mountain. We've been tra- Blackadder is the top of the mountain. Never talk seen more it. about British sitcoms. You Just must have heard of it though, like Rowan Atkinson. You know, and it's like there's only four seasons. Each one is better than the last. Each season was 25 years after the previous one. And each season is set in a different period of British history with different characters played by the same actors, but the same dynamics. He's like a type that keeps recurring yeah. in history. Right. Yeah. It's so like there's another black is in like right. right. The modern day police force. Sometimes that type is like Well in that the no, that's the thin blue line. Oh, but um now, can uh, I tell you a Rowan Atkinson tangent? Please. please. I once in 2012, I sort of notoriously lost my mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fell off the wagon. This was the Bonnaroo episode? This was, no, this was the Adderall stretch. Okay, okay. Are you making the show at this point? Yes, yes. You're making you can, the there's a show? stretch of Gethard Show on Public Access in 2012 where if you, summer of 2012, you can watch me losing weight week by yeah. week. You can yeah. watch me Is getting Is that sort of fairly early in the run or? Which random were we on at uh, this point? We were probably wrapping up on Andrew. Okay, and sure. The Melissa right. yeah, okay, right, yeah, thank right, you so much. Right, thank you right, so much. Right. Um, <laughs> but I had a friend of mine at the end of that summer who's a filmmaker. You guys probably, do you know Antonio Campos? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's a good friend of mine. And Simon Killer was out doing mm-hmm. the festival circuit. Mm-hmm. And it was at a festival in, in Rio de Janeiro. And he pulled me aside and was like, dude, I think you're, you're kind of going off the deep end. I'm going out of town. Why don't you just come to Brazil with me? And he wasn't like, 
and it's not like Rio is a place to lay low. He was just kind of right. Like, I don't think of that as like no, a chill place. But he right. was just kind of like you and I'll do some soul searching, talking, and sure. uh, if you want to party, we can party. And if you want to just like chill out and get back to being yourself, get back. But New York is not good for you. This is one of those stretches where we all have them. Where New York is not good for you. Yeah. You just need to go off the grid for a little. New York is be a yeah. pressure cooker. It's a social thing as much as the city thing. Yeah. yeah, I had I was dealing with a bad breakup. I was dealing with a bunch of bad decisions. All this stuff. Mm-hmm. Dealing with a rough random. I mean, yeah. Andrew, oh, rough, very controversial random. Rough random. Had to had to really help that kid. He's such a nice guy. He's, He's a nice guy. boy. Audience Everyone was hated sh- him. I shit on my that. own brother called in and like shit on a kid who's <laughs> yeah. twenty years younger than He's him. Like He's in like, college. My brother's like, like, get this fucking pretentious. I'm like, Greg, you're pushing forty, man. <laughs> He's a boy. Get him on my fucking screen. So it's I, I go boy. to Brazil, and I mean, it's an epic, epic journey. We have a male ballet dancer hand me a giant bag of cocaine in front of my friend's mother secretly. I have to decide if I'm going to do cocaine for the first time. I we it's 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 crazy. We're partying in favelas. It's like it's wild. It's like wild. You, you robbed a bank and like with a big safe that you strapped to the back of a car. Me right? and a guy named Rocket <laughs> took down a guy named Little Jay. Like it was nuts. It was really nuts. Rewatched that last night. By Good the way, movie. one of the best movies Good to come out of my life. Good anyway, movie. so we're my Antonio has some family down there, and we go. His mom was in town because she was a producer on another film in the festival. We're with this family up at this mountaintop retreat. It's crazy. It's so beautiful. And he has this distant cousin who's like the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And Antonio's mom decides she's going to be like human Tinder and just hook me up with her own (laughs) relative. Like she's trying to pimp out her relative. She starts like really talking me up. And she starts telling everyone we meet that I am regarded in America (laughs) as the next Woody Allen. That I'm as big as Woody Allen. She keeps telling everybody, this guy's a comedian. He's as big as Woody Allen. He's oh, not on an international level, but in America. Right. He's big, which is not true. It's undeniable. And she's claiming that in America, she's undeniably. Not that I am there. not that I have a Woody Allen vibe. Not that that could be a thing. That in America, right. you are I am a yes, it's an sort of any hall any- era Woody Allen level of fame. Not true. <laughs> and this beautiful cousin of my friends is sitting there. Not speaking. I assume she only speaks Portuguese. I later find out this is because she was pretending to only speak Portuguese so as to not have to speak to me. Cool. Sure. Right. Because she point, knows about Woody Allen. At one point, yes. It, it, she, <laughs> yes, she knew it before the rest of us. Yeah. At one point, when Antonio's mom tells this cousin, oh, this guy's actually a comedian in America, her face lights up. She turns to me, and in perfect American accent English, she goes, oh my God, I love comedy so much. Sure. Have you ever met Mr. Bean? And I said, no. And she was like, I love Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean is my favorite comedian ever. And she went on a very long rant about her love of Mr. Bean. Sure. And it did develop into a flirtatious thing between the two of us. Nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, we became Facebook friends. And, but, and but when Mr. she came Bean back, is the glue holding Mr. Bean became this weird glue. But I've right. never seen someone love Mr. Bean so much. Is Mr. Bean... That worldwide beloved? Yeah, it's insane. I think it's one of those things where, like, really? in America... We've always rolled our eyes at them. Yeah, it's a little, like... Because right, they did, know, like, the much later shit. Mr. Right. Bean's holiday sequel, and people were like, why are they making this? And it made, like, $2 in America and $3 trillion <laughs> worldwide. She but, like, Mr. Bean so much to the point where yeah. it almost got me a hookup. Did she... 
want to talk about Blackout, or was it just Mr. Just Mr. Bean? She's not Rowan Atkinson. She's not saying she's not like I do not think right, she knew right, the right. name Rowan Atkinson. She thought his name was like Fred Bean or something like that. She thought that was a real Jimmy documentary. <laughs> right. she, yeah, she thought that was Harvey Bean. I think but that, I mean, like, she was all of a sudden very, very open to wow. hanging out with me. Wow, because you, you knew from Bean. And she was an artist, and I went to her art exhibit in Brazil, and it was her. It was all oil paintings no, of Mr. Dude, Bean. you can't even imagine. Really? It was her doing videos of herself standing in abandoned, desolate places with a somber look on her face and having the video glitch in a loop over and over again, which me in 2012. <laughs> My dream You're like, we're cooking with gas. A beautiful, mis- a beautiful, mysterious Brazilian video <laughs> artist who explores abandoned places and doesn't want to speak to me? That's my dream woman Plus, in 2012. she's a beanaholic? Yeah, and she loves Mr. Bean. She's getting high on <laughs> that bean. You have described my 2012 fantasy human. But wait, but in the end of the day, you just left Rio. I did. I left Rio. That was know. your your specter. But then I came back to, I came back to America and immediately... Uh, Got together with my wife. Sure, and everything sort of leveled out. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. this is your big fish. This well, is got- your side story. Your Jenny. Yeah, yeah. Get that. Look at that. Look at that, David. It's a good story. Look Sorry that. about that. Real tangent. I don't think it paid off that as was well a as I was hoping. Fantastic tangent. Yeah. Are you yeah. crazy? No, that was off is quite. That that I'm good. sorry. Guys. That was good. It was a good path. I mean, if it had just ended with like, and it turned out she was a werewolf and the sad clown had to shoot her, like, you know, that's Soggy a good bottom. Soggy, Soggy bottom. Soggy bottom. So funny. So- Mr. Soggy Bottom. He's only got the one line, right, where he says, like, this is my associate, Mr. Soggy Bottom. And he goes, hello. Yeah, he doesn't say anything else during the negotiation. I maybe not. I don't think Honest so. to God, though, if Danny, if that's not Danny DeVito, do you think this? If it's not Danny DeVito, do you think the studio cuts that whole storyline? Or it certainly make is this an expensive storyline. You know, Burton's remember, like, I need three elephants. Right. Like you know, and all that's, this shit. I remember right. popcorn needs to freeze in the air. Yeah. He needs to be able to push it though. It's a good. That's hands. a good visual. That's, that's I like that. Yeah. I remember seeing the movie. I with wish my... Allison Loman had a little more to do. Agreed. Yeah. Wait, who's Allison Loman? Young... She's the young wife. You know, the, it, yeah. It, and it. she mostly just sort of stands there looking yeah. pretty. Right. And you're kind of like, they really nailed Jessica Lang's hair on yeah. her. Like they really like <laughs> yeah. match that well. Yeah. Um, I I remember one of my like eight times seeing this movie, watching it with my father, and when it was that montage of him trying to get the one piece of info a month out of Devito. Yeah. Every time they would cut to a different attraction or a different gigantic animal or a different right. giant set my dad just went Jesus Christ how much did they spend on this <laughs> it's kind of like this is a montage and right. every establishing shot in the montage yeah. is like so they had to rent a tilt-a-whirl sure yeah we get it it's a circus yeah because yeah. he yeah he's in the um the motorcycles driving yeah. around him in the uh, cage yeah. which also I have to say my wife um is a performer sure. who has done a lot of aerial stuff and there's a lot of crossover with the circus community mm-hmm. That is an extraordinarily dangerous thing. Right. Oh, yeah. And to stand your leading actor in the middle of it. Crazy. Crazy. Did that real, do you think that was a real practical thing or was that? It looks like know. it. It looks like it. It certainly yeah. doesn't look like fake yeah. at all. Like, I've always, that's Everyone one of those things where I'm like. pants, right? Everyone on yeah. set was just like. Yeah. <sighs> Let's get this shot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, bikes go. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, anytime I've seen like, it. no, we need another take. You couldn't see Helena's reflection in the background. <laughs> well, cause there's also the thing when, when he's like got his head in the lion's mouth, it's yeah. clearly like an animatronic. That's lion. a fake line. They spent right. a lot of money on an animatronic line. They were right. like, well, you can stay in the middle of a, a motorcycle cage, right? <laughs> 
the only the place beyond the pines has the motorcycle yeah. cage too. I, and that that's just the thing where I'm like, that's that's not real. That Simpsons doesn't happen. Movie. It stresses me. That's out. fucking insane. Watching stuff like that stresses me out. Like it's yeah. hard to drive a car. Now I'm good at like I'm fine. So at it. So hard that I will never right. do it. But like driving a I car requires it. your attention, and yeah. you are level and going forward. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, imagine yeah. just the the go, looking through the eyes of the guy on the motorcycle, right? <sighs> Right. It's just like, yeah, I'm just not going to see anything except like cage. Yeah. Just like, and as they passed each the other, there were two in there. On yeah, that there's one. two in there. Yeah. One is bad enough. Yeah, it wasn't rough. even that big of a ball globe no. thing. It basically is like it can hold Ewan McGregor yeah. and then two motorcycles, and that's yeah. it. Um, speaking of, of, would this role be as big if it wasn't DeVito, if you didn't have a name actor yeah, who gets, yeah. you know, and Danny DeVito billing? I saw the. Big Fish musical they did about 10 years after this right. where John August, John August he wrote that readapted well, right? because this is well suited to a musical because it's vignette any movie that's vignette right people are like Broadway musical like this is basically just a bunch of songs right. like you know like, I think the musical made one fatal flaw which I will say in one second but the Danny DeVito character was weirdly big in the musical sure and it stood out when it wasn't played by Danny DeVito was he kind of the MC of the musical or something like what he sort no, of no like, it was just the same thing where that section oh. went on weirdly long okay. did they have a sake bottom no great question no I don't think they did I'm not seeing a sake bottom in the credits I don't here think was it on did. Broadway yeah. it was you saw it on Broadway. I saw it on Broadway. I saw it on Broadway. One time. Um, here was the thing. One time is enough. Here was the thing I think the musical could have done. The mounting self-consciousness you feel about how many times you saw it in the theater. Eight. A gentleman's eight. Every same theater every time? Or Give me another hit of that around. thing. I oh, want to keep trying. Did you test it with different sound systems? Of course, <laughs> of course I did. Trying to think where, some of the places I saw it. I think I definitely saw Kips Bay at some point. Kips Bay has a Star Wars VR machine. They, they have do. a whole they VR thing. Got rid of it. Oh, they what? they have it. They used to have the whole IMAX. They don't basement. have the VR. Uh, I forgot mm. the Big Fish Playground musical anymore? was a flop. Yes. I forgot. Wow, really? it played yeah. ninety eight performances. That's a disaster. Did he win Best Actor? No, no. Okay, because did who not was, get who's Norman Leo Butts, who's won like seventeen. Uh, Tony Leo Butts. Yeah, it, it, it yeah. got zero Tony nominations. Norman. Like it, he it didn't get nominated. Because he's Bloodline. That was the big thing. Was mm-hmm. he plays? Wait, what's uh, the name of uh, Mendelssohn's character in Bloodline? Fuck, I you never know. watched Bloodline. Because that's, I mean, we all know director you know, Orson Krennic. They're good people, but they did a bad thing. They did. We all know that about Bloodline. They did a bad thing. But uh, people, uh, D- Danny, like to me, Bloodline. Right, anytime right, I would watch right. it, it's just everyone's been like, Danny. Danny's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> like the whole movie. The One whole of those show. families. <laughs> Danny, what's it did make you feel like you grew up in that town with them, and everybody knew from a young age. Danny's no good. Bad egg. All right, Uh, sorry. The thing I was gonna say about the Big Fish musical: you have one guy playing Edward Bloom at all ages. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, I know. I know. Are you pointing at the runtime? He's pointing at the runtime. We're we're almost done. It feels long to me, and I've been in it. Yeah, yeah. We're 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 done. (laughs) I have. Nothing left to say about. No, Big we're going to play the box office game, and that's it. But what do you want to say <laughs> about the musical? About the thing about the musical. <laughs> Norman Leo Butts plays Edward Bloom at all ages, so yeah. there's kind Norbert, of an impressive Norbert Leo Butts. Norbert, Norbert Leo Butts, Norbert Leo Butts uh, plays the character at all ages. So there's a skill piece element of like right. you're watching Johnny's a guy old. sweat and run and transform right. and go back from the bed and this and that. There was a moment watching it where I went, "Oh fuck, this is what they should have done." The entire first act should have exclusively been Edward telling the stories to his kid in bed. 
which is right. kind of how they structure the first act. Right, because, yeah, the movie, yes, that's fair. And that's you fair. don't see adult Will at all until act two. Right. That act one is just, here is... It's weird that the movie literally starts with old, you know, Crudup being like, right. you're a fucking fraud, and you the wedding speech was too right. long, and you're like... Build up to this. I don't get why he's mad. Because the actor who played young Will was a lot less antagonistic in the Broadway musical, but you go, there's an opportunity here to just open with act one is full-on Broadway musical. It's fantabulous stories. Act two is when reality crashes down. Isn't the problem then that it's the princess bride? It's just the princess bride, which is iconic at that point. Kind of. It's like princess bride. It's a little like into the woods where you have the second act where like the fantasy falls away. Because even as you just said, him telling young Will, I had a vision of him sick in bed. Like it immediately I will say the musical is still mostly that. It's just not exclusively that. It's mostly the superstructure is him telling the stories to Will as a bedtime story. But then old Will interrupts. And I was like, save old Will for act two. Like, keep act one purely in fantasy land. Right. I think would have been cool. Right. And then act two comes up, and it's a totally different tone. It's reckoning with. Right. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. I thought, yeah. If I were to revive. The musical. Yes, that's what I would do. Um, the, the ending of this thing, I mean, there are a couple things it gets at. First of all, Crudup gets out of the way and just delivers this thing clean. I think he does a great job. Right. And, and from the moment it just starts tickling in where you're just like, they've set this up so perfectly. The dominoes are perfectly in place. He's kept on saying, I know how I die. Right. Tell me the story. And he doesn't know. And you see him start to figure it out. There's so many good Finney performance moments where like when he tells the story, it adds in the detail about taking the other route because church traffic. Right. And they cut to Albert Finney and he's like beaming. Right. Because he's like including a superfluous detail. unnecessary detail. He's giving coloring to the story now. And then just the fucking idea. I don't know if it's because I'm like a megalomaniac or whatever. But the idea of at the end of your life you see every person you've ever known. Is like the most profound thing in the world. And they watch you turn into a fish. Yeah. I mean that's the dream. Right? A big fish. You see everyone you ever knew. You get your lady in the water. That was the implication, though, that what he saw in the eye was him connecting with his son. Right. That's how I go. Yeah. I mean, that's what they I leave always it up took to you it. to decide, right? Sure. Of course. That's, of course. Yeah. It wasn't about the story. It was about the stories that bring you together. Just him saying exactly, and then Albert Finney doing one of the best death pieces of acting I've ever seen, where you literally oh, just see the shocking. life leave his eyes. Shocking. You're Absolutely. just like we're in the hands of one of the best to ever do it. Every time I see that in a movie. And Albert Finney at this point in his life is probably, what do you think he is? like? He's younger than 60s, I think he is. He's like, like 67, 68. But still, I would be like, if I'm 67, I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to do face it. this. I don't want to face he, this. Right. It was creepy, man. Yeah. He's his, really good at his it. His bed acting's really fucking good throughout the whole that, movie. That scene where he makes the face when she's not looking at him <sighs> and he's in pain and then he's like back to It's just like of, heartbreaking shit. But then also when you have the moment where... Will starts telling the story and he goes, okay, so it's like this. I, I wake up and suddenly everything's different. And they cut to fantasy version of Finney yeah. in Will's story. And suddenly it's like Albert Finney with full verve. Mm-hmm. And he takes off the thing and goes like, let's get out of here. Right. He's just like, that's my fucking guy. I love him. I love him in this movie. I think it's a great performance. Should have won the Oscar. I'd be fine with that. I think that's like a great Best Supporting Actor winner in a year that was a notably bad Best Supporting Actor field. Billy Crudup should have won the Nobel Prize. (laughs) (laughs) For lack of chemistry. Oh. Anything else? It plays out like a slot machine. It still destroys me. He loves to say pays out like a slot machine. (laughs) It's a thing I read someone say in reference to Shawshank Redemption. I'm like, 
God, I gotta find an opportunity to say that. I Which guess. is another movie like this where he's out like, like a fucking slot This thing's long, and then you're like, I guess it was kind of worth you it. You needed like, to it spend that much time up. in jail. Yeah, right. yeah. Pays out. Like, one could say it pays all out. All right, like a let's play slot-ish. the box office game. Okay. Unless there's anything else you wanted. I don't know. You, you got anything else to say? This movie um, gets me. Death okay. just spent. <laughs> Guys, it's three thirty. <laughs> all right. Okay. okay. I got here at one. Okay. God, other stuff to do today. Um, number one, I'm officially getting anxious. There's a window, though. Look, look. There's a window. Look outdoors, though. It looks into somebody's cubicle. (laughs) And that guy's not working, by the way. What's he doing? He's reading Gmails. Although it's an article, it might be. Who knows? He might be researching. Oh boy. So this is the wide weekend. This is the wide weekend. We've done the uh, uh. Initial weekend because so Sony goosed give. up the numbers in the early estimates to be able to claim that they got number one, and then when yeah, the estimates it, came, when the this when is the January came 9th, two thousand four, it, it lost actually, to week four of Re- Return of the King. That's correct. Right. This is the Lord Return of the, Rings of the King was running the table. I mean, there's no shame in that. And no, that's the no. year at the Oscars, Return of the King wins everything. Certainly, every like design, it wins visual the most effects, Oscars of any score, movie. Ever. It doesn't lose Oscars. a single thing it's nominated for. Really? Right. Yeah. It just that's when Return of the King just annihilates everything yeah. anyway. Because it was all the goodwill from the it's a celebration of exactly right. So like you guys did it. Has Lord of the Rings, and I don't know because I was in college when they came out. Has it held up as an institution? Yes. The way that Star Wars has amongst it, young people. I think it has so. to the extent that it had a prequel trilogy that people didn't even like as much and it still survived. I that. liked those Hobbit movies wow. okay. Well, wow. when we do Jackson, we yeah. got to have you back for yeah. one yes. of Hobbits. Please. On Desolation of Small. I kind of have a soft spot for them too. So oh, I, boy. I would You're love not to into them. I tapped out after one. He didn't even see two of them. He yeah. only saw the first one, and which I is probably the weakest every, for But me kids thing. still like kids still get into Star Wars and they're always going to get into Harry Potter. Is Lord yeah. of the Rings the same thing culture. I think Lord of the Rings has always played a little bit older. And I, I feel is, like you have a lot of people who still every year like gotta watch the extended trilogy. Like it's an okay. annual tradition. It's a, it's a Christmas tradition for multiple people that I know. Yeah. Like unconnected people. I was I was almost fired from Weird New Jersey because I went to Trilogy Tuesday. Yeah. Which was when Return of the King came out. And you go to the theater and watch all three. Right. My boss was like, I cannot believe you took a day off of work for that. I will fire you. And he was serious. He's like, I'll fire you. Number three at the box. Big Fish is number two, 13.8 13, okay. million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number three is, um, oh, it's a comedy with one, probably an actor we all revere. It's one of his low points. Uh, you know, a family comedy, uh, but comedian and actor, I feel like. Okay, wait, so 2003 family Steve comedy. It's, is it, it, it's not cheaper by the dozen, is it? It is. Yeah, cheaper, okay. by the dozen. Guess, cheaper by the dozen. He doesn't have like. Four kids. I'm glad, like Twelve I'm fucking gl- kids. I'm glad I got that. A wild that. Usually runaway game, hit. Usually this game, people just sit and watch you play. Yeah. No, that was a good pull. Cheaper by the dozen. Huge hit. Huge hit. 140 million bucks. Steve does that, was back. That's towards. Does that mark the beginning, or is it just in the early wave of I want to buy a new painting, Steve Martin? <laughs> this is when he starts getting <laughs> my house is getting a fancier in his taste. Right. Because 2003 is. Cheaper by the dozen and bringing down the house. That's right. And they're both huge hits and they're both movies that you go, he must have been holding his nose and there just checking Picasso. eBay. There's some Picasso right. for sale that He was year. calling Sotheby's in between takes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Will you throw in the Basquiat? <laughs> <laughs> I do love those paintings. Do you remember that thing a couple of years this will ago? This pay for eight banjo tours around the country? Yeah. Do you remember that thing a couple of years ago where like 92nd Street Y was like a conversation with Steve Martin? 
And then it's just banjo, right? No, it was just paintings. And people like walked out and he kept on being like, I'm sorry, I just, this oh, is what I right. want to talk about. I do remember that. Like he was very apologetic. And people were like, tell jokes. And then people were even like, I'd settle for banjo. <laughs> <laughs> You're verbally describing a visual medium. We paid money and we traveled all the way up here. It's so shockingly hard to get to. Like people drove when they started the Tribeca. Was yeah. it at Tribeca? No, it was the real 90 oh, seconds. It's hard yeah. to get yeah. to. Have people you, got, coming have you in ever from interacted with Steve Martin, Chris? No. Yeah. He is like a, of, I, I feel like of my big, like Mount Rushmore idols, the only one I haven't met. I will say to you, for, uh, for all the jokes we've made, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is probably, I think it's my second favorite movie. Pretty, Outside of like the Star Wars stuff. Movie. And you've said, I mean, it features... It's gross, my favorite comedies are Gross Point Blank and wow. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You have said before in this podcast, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles features your wife's favorite actor yeah, of all time. That dog who got frozed up. She recently... is <laughs> number one. That dog Callie's who got frozed up in the back one. of the pickup truck. My, my wife respects no actor more When you than think that about dog. it, though, that's a dog in the cold, and he nailed the timing on that heart. And he's up against Steve Martin and John Candy. This <laughs> yeah. is... She recently declared her second favorite actor. Should I please big reveal? This is scoop (laughs) guy who plays Thurman Merman in Bad Santa. Great call! I just saw that for the first time. Oh, that's a real Gethard movie. That is, I mean, that's up there. I immediately was like, oh, that's number three. It's It's sort of a weird forgotten movie because it was a hit at the time. People liked it, but it kind of just I couldn't believe. I always thought it was just Elf. Just like I always thought of that and Elf as like very. No, it's like a very dark movie. Oh my god, it makes me laugh. It's from the director of Crumb. When, dude, when, <laughs> and Ghost Rule. Yeah. When he hands him his report card and Billy Bob Thornton looks at it and he's like, Thurman, who the fuck is Thurman? Are you Thurman? <laughs> and you realize he doesn't even ask this kid his name until we're like a solid 75 minutes into this movie. That is such a funny joke, man. He didn't even, you're like, he's been living in his house for the bulk of this movie and they insinuate it's been for weeks maybe. So, and he just now is like, wait, what's your name? He didn't even ask him his name. Thurman, man. So Hallie Bullets, he, her like De Niro Pacino <laughs> together for the first time would be the dog and Thurman Merman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could get a two-hander with that dog, that dog. and Thurman Merman. Who is that dog? <laughs> he's, he's like James Dean. He did a very little. He went away. He left us that, wanting more. Watch that scene now. That's a great scene. I know. I can conjure the image of the watch dog the timing. right away. Watch the comedic timing on that scene. And some of it's the camera cut, sure. But the dog carries his weight. And you don't expect the dog to have his mouth all froze up like that. And he keeps a straight face. He deadpans it hard. And he's not, it doesn't look like he's just looking for the treat. He looks like he's looking for the moment. He was in it. He was in the moment. It's all froze up. Speaking of froze. Oh. Number four. Come on. That's, Come on, I mean, across the, okay. Griff. Girlfriend's right. calling. It's someone who assumes we wouldn't still be taping at this point. <laughs> she is sorely mistaking. Um, number four is a cold movie. Cold? Number it's four. got cold in the cold title. Mountain? Brr, cold yes. Mountain? Cold Mountain. You cold seen Mountain. Cold Mountain? Never Civil War. Didn't see it. Homeric epic. Another big, like, this is going to run the table at the Oscars, and then and it the kind of kind of snubbed out, it. Other than supporting actors. They did give Renee Zellweger her yeah. Oscar. That's right. Weird movie. I actually kind of like it. It's got this great scene where you got those... You know that Southern revival sort of thing where they they sing 
uh, these songs and they use their voices and instruments and it requires like many, many people to have any impact uh-huh. where like they're all just sort of making like percussive sounds with their mouth. Fucking love that shit. I, I made the argument on Twitter recently. Wait, that, that's in Cold Mountain or that's the other movie? There's like I, a big scene in Cold Mountain where they're all singing guess, like that. I was trying to that guess. That was his hint for number five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number five is, is Somebody's Gotta Get is the movie. Oh, okay. That just, okay. You know, yeah. The Nancy Myers classic. Yeah. With Jack Nicholson. Yeah, so I, I have I have a big question, I guess, sort of in summation. Everything we and this has been a wide ranging episode. Yeah, we've gone yeah, deep yeah. into a bunch of different little. I think we did a great job. Yeah, we we've taken a couple of stops at different towns at the side of the road, right? My question is, as you said, you will soon be a father yeah. for the first time. Yes, you're looking forward to sharing Star Wars with your son. Yeah, as you said. Now, do you feel like for you? The original trilogy is the thing. You want to introduce him to that? Or do you want to lead for your son with Kit Fisto? Because if you start at episode four, you're depriving him of Fisto. God damn. You just called into question everything that I know about. You thought this podcast was done. We had nothing left to say. And I asked you the existential question of your life. Look. Do you want your son to meet <sighs> Kit Fisto or Luke Skywalker first? That is the question. I guess I just fear that if I hold back Fisto for my son, and then he comes to realize at some point that Fisto was there the whole time, he's going to view me like Crudup viewed Albert Finney. It all ties together. That's what the movie's about. But making the decisions as a father, what kind of world you want to raise your son in. You know, if he views it that way, it means he'll, you know, he'll have some trouble, but he'll come around. He'll figure it out. He'll realize what a great man you were. Eventually. Is he gonna into, is he gonna put his emphasis on weird syllables? Stuff? <laughs> what if you had a kid and the kid talked like Billy Crudup and Big? I'd be like, I if, fucked if, up with dude, this kid. If, if how bad would you react if you had a son someday, Griffin, and he looked at you if you're eating dinner and he's just like, "Hey, Dad, can you pass the salt?" Be like, Dad, Stop these that shit. stories that you're telling all the the time. Don't you feel like because this was the period where he was the Mastercard priceless guy. And that was so much of his job was just like listing things with atypical rhythms right. that he just got caught, so caught up in that right, game. Because there's literally, what can you say about a credit card? Right. Like, right. you know, it's sort of yeah. like Alan any beer advertisement where it's like, 25. it's the same product as before. Right. It's, do you remember what a credit card is? It's right. that. That's what we got. And he just had it's to a fucking keep credit card. doing those spots over and over again. Maybe that ruined Billy Crudup at this period of his now, career. I've re- just rewatched Almost Famous and he's pretty good. He's in very that. good. Great in that. He's yeah. really good. He's very good in that. What else has he done? What else am I not thinking of? Uh, left Mary Louise Parker eight months pregnant. That was a big career move for him. That's true, uh-huh. famously. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was in this movie called Waking the Dead, which he's quite good in. He was in this movie Jesus called Jesus' Son. Son, which he was sort of like seen as like an up-and-coming right. marquee idol. But like then, where it's like, this guy's handsome, he's a good actor, he's got all the tools, like he's yeah. going to be big. But then Almost Famous was like his first big studio bite at the Apple, and then this is kind of like the next one. And this that's it. Yeah. But also people so truly despise him for the Mary Louise Parker thing that his yeah. name is Mud in Hollywood. Right. And he just becomes a character. Yeah. He left his longtime girlfriend eight months pregnant. Yeah. For Claire Danes. Right. Which was just seen as like such a despicable move. Even in Hollywood, people were like, mm-mm. No, yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, then by the time he's in Mission Impossible Three, which is only two years later, right, or three years later, he's kind of the pill. He's the pill, and he's like a fucking character actor. Yeah, and like only a couple years after that, he's Doctor Manhattan in Watchmen. Yeah, right. Where right. it's like this guy, he'll he's like fine. I'll play the mocap thing. Like I don't give a shit. I don't s- even have my face. Said it a thousand times. I still think 
he would be my ideal Doctor Doom casting. Really good enough. That's everything. You've said that a thousand insane. times. I said it a thousand times. I'll say a thousand more. Everything. You've never said that to me. I think I, I have definitely said really? that. To you. In what world That's do you crazy. need to say that a thousand times? <laughs> Who's listening to you say that? No one's listening, but I'm saying <laughs> several why people does listen. Why Billy make the I'll tell you what. Everything that's irritating about him in Big Fish is what makes him a good Doctor Doom. No way, Doctor Doom. Weasel. Doctor Doom is a strong. Yes, Doctor Doom is a king. Outside of Magneto, maybe the most justification for villainy in the Marvel. I universe. think he can do that, but the key to Doctor Doom is that he's just driven by petty rage of the fact that he thinks he should be like the leading man. Right, but he needs charisma. He needs to command a room. He can do it. That needs to be like Christoph Waltz. Well, that's a little too obvious. Because of the Waltz. accent? Yeah, and it's yeah. just that he's played like every fucking villain that exists at this point. But I sure. Also, I he think kind of... Victor Von Doom has to be a failed heartthrob who's angry that he's not like a superhero, you know? I don't know about that. He's an ice-cold sociopath from the day he enters college akin to Reed, uh, next to Reed Richards. Because he's like assuming like, well, I'm the golden boy, right? Ultimately, though, what's fueling Dr. Doom Yeah is that his mom has been captured. His mom's soul has been captured by Mephisto. Right. That's true. Have you ever read the uh, Doctor Doom, Doctor Strange crossover? No. It was notoriously hard to find when I was a kid. They have it on Marvel Unlimited, Unlimited. though. Mm-hmm. It is awesome. Really? It's all, all right. about Doctor Doom's... Doctor Doom also deals with magic and the mystic right. arts. Well, because like, his mother was a gypsy. Yeah. Discredited by his father. Mm-hmm. And he's he's... Kind of it's shamefully pursuing that. Well worth right. reading. Yeah. Well worth reading. I want to read it. I'm doing this thing where I read Marvel comics year by year. Right. Oh, now. Year by on year. the unlimited app. Do you pick one series or do you have a number of series that you're reading as if you're a kid taking them all up take each month? Take a guess. Ooh, exactly. This guy, fun. take a guess which one. Like, he's I'm not going to read every. Like, you'll learn. Like, I'm in the 70s now where it's like some things like, okay, I don't need to read this. Like, you know, I don't need to read some failed, you know. But right now. Through through the entire 60s, there's really only 12 Marvel titles. So you're trying to live the experience of being a Marvel fan. That's exactly what I'm trying so to do. So you're reading like Journey into Mystery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tales to Astonish. Yeah. Wow. All that shit. The 60s is great. It's pretty unbeatable. Yeah. You know, and you can see the one the heroes that are hitting better. Right. And you can see the ones that aren't. And you like their villains kind of suck, you know, and like you can see, you know, in the early 60s where they're like, Ant-Man is one of the core heroes. Yeah. And then slowly they're like, yeah, Ant-Man's not that big a deal anymore. And then Ant-Man's just gone. You know, he's in the Avengers, but that's it. And then they and make sometimes. him like an abusive Well, like, that's, that's I right, haven't gotten yeah. to that yet. But right, yeah, okay. Yeah. Namor. They're like, Namor is crucial. And then they're <sighs> like, ah, fucking no one likes Namor. I guess Namor's gone. And you see him get bumped from the front. He's like, he splits a title with someone else. Then he gets bumped to the back and then he's right. just gone. Namor's so cool. Namor's I great. Always Love Namor. Namor. Yeah. Love Namor. Always liked him. But his, his solo titles are no fun. It's boring. No, but he's one in the great 90s as that I was okay. Fantastic Four Ensemble. Him yeah. dropping into the Avengers or whatever, yeah. Fantastic Four is great. But him going down to Atlantis, like the other Namor characters, are not they as doing a Namor now? They talk about it. Because it seems like a no-brainer with, yeah. with, with climate change, global warming. Yeah. Well, that's what Aquaman kind of was. Yeah. I didn't see it. I wanted to see it, but I could not convince Hallie on that. Ben, one. you want to give it a quick review? Ben is vaping. Rules. <laughs> ben is vaping. Yeah, I was vaping. It's uh, good. Yeah, I loved it. It's awesome. I gotta watch. It's it. like such a fun movie. You know where I'm gonna watch Aquaman? On a plane, of course. <laughs> as soon as I saw the trailer, again, Halle Bullet. We watched the trailer, and Halle Bullet just went, "Don't even ask. Don't even ask. Come on. 
Here, like, this will whet your appetite, Chris. It's got a lot of sea crime. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go home, guys. Okay. Yes. That's it. That's it. We're Chris, done. We're done. Uh, new book. Lose. We were well. talking comics all of a sudden. You know. Who cares? <laughs> what do you mean? Hey, come about on. The new book. New yeah. book. It's all okay. It's but let's good. give it that BC bump. I would love that. We'll sell um, 30 more copies. You got your podcast? Yeah. Beautiful Anonymous. Yeah. I got some moves I'm making coming up that I think you guys, that either represent a severe career downfall or are the coolest thing I could possibly be doing in 2019 uh, that I want to talk to you guys about okay. off mic. Okay, so let's the, end this episode turn immediately. The mics off. Let's Make just say that I used to think I could make a better TV show than some other people. And now I think I could make a better TV network than other people. <sighs> Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks, Andrew Gudeau, for our social media. Lee Montgomery for our theme song. Joe Bonapat Rounds for our work. Go to blankies.red.com for some real nerdy shit. Go to T Public for some real nerdy shirts. Uh, and as always, uh, we're, let's end episodes so we can hear this. <laughs>